For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcast. Saw Radio Kerry had a drone up in the sky there the other day on Inch Beach. Oh God, I remember years ago when the kids were very small, we got caught on Inch Beach as the tide was coming in because uh, the keys were locked. Do you remember the days when you could lock your keys inside the car? I don't know, can you still do that? I think you probably can. Um, but I uh, couldn't get it out. And the tide was coming in. The tide was coming in. It was about four or five inches up around the wheels. Eventually I had to go up and get a guy living in a cottage somewhere to come down. I was thick stupid as to how do you get into a car when it's locked in the inside and the keys inside. He got me out though. But the drone footage from, from Inch showed chaos because apparently there's nowhere to park down there. Uh, which means that everybody parks in a one big long line on the beach. And they park well back, but the tide there comes in rapid fast. So there was chaos then. Everybody trying to get off the beach and couldn't get their cars off the strand when it turned suddenly, I suppose. I don't know whether they caught in the sand or maybe just caught on the hop and there was a traffic jam trying to get off the beach. Anyway, paper-wise this morning, after the heat and the storms, cooler, wetter weather is set to move in, which... Don't be annoying me. It is what it is. What can we do? According to the Red Tops, it's all over. Doom and gloom. Uh, you'll be wishing for 32 degrees again, won't you? Uh, Don O'Leary makes the front of this morning's uh, echo. He's the director of Cork's Life Centre, an incredible guy. The amount of intervention he has done personally and his staff as well uh, to turn lives around is just astonishing. Uh, and uh, he continues to do so. It's interesting, as we were talking about this yesterday on air, he's saying putting therapists and putting counsellors, including those who specialise in areas of substance misuse, into school... It could keep young people out of the criminal justice system. Um, and he says that uh, drugs are being used more and more now by young people as a way of masking pain and trauma. And he says it's time to start, start supporting children properly. He says schools are using guidance counsellors as a one-size-fits-all solution to a range of predicaments. It's very interesting, actually, because you'd have a guidance counsellor giving career advice and also trying to counsel and deal with uh, students who are having difficulty in school, learning difficulties, falling behind in exams, coming from broken homes where there's maybe a lot of trauma in the home, or students who could also have issues with regards of uh, substance abuse. So one size fits all does not fit, he says. Uh, all of the red tops this morning carry the death of a pensioner it's a guard investigation now, a suspicious death. The pensioner discovered dead in her home yesterday in Killarney. 75-year-old Miriam Burns, woman dead in home for days, they're saying. She was last seen alive on Friday. Cops probe mum's death uh, found in a, in a pool of blood. And the guardie treated as suspicious. Um, she's a mother of four, found with head injuries. Um, that's sad, it really and truly is. There was a, another assault, actually, in Leaside at the weekend. This was from Sunday night. As Red FM News were reporting this, where a woman had to be hospitalised after an assault on Sunday night. Is there any reason, any wonder why people are kind of slow to go into the town, to the city at night? Uh, a woman in her 30s taken to the Mercy Sunday about half past five, seven, I should say. Guards attended the scene down lower Oliver Plunkett Street uh, on Sunday evening in her mid 30s, injured and taken to hospital. No arrest made, but uh, sadly, um, you know. You know, city centre getting in the news these days for all the wrong reasons. We try and big up the positive as much as we can. You know um, the uh, issue involving uh, Paul Hyde, who resigned. He was the former deputy chair of on board Planola. He resigned last month uh, amid controversy. He denies all of the allegations against him, allegations of conflicts of interest in some of the decisions made uh, by on board Planola when he was there and on board Planola decisions that he was involved in. That now, that there is a report um, where 
uh, on board Planola has now been referred to uh, the Gardaí and indeed the DPP by the Housing Minister. So the DPP now will consider uh, the case for... They'll make a decision as to whether there should be a criminal prosecution or not. So that's a front page you're making uh, a lot of the papers this morning. I'm reading it from the mail today. Um, but uh, Brenda Power is absolutely on fire this morning. She doesn't hold back on her own thoughts and beliefs when it comes to the ever-changing world regarding women, uh, the trans community and indeed sport. She says the woke generation is giving up all of the rights that women fought for for many, many years. And she says, well, women everywhere ought to welcome the news that the Rosa Tralee is to include trans women. In other words, biological males, she says. The wider public will see the reality of this cult-like ideology and the threat that it poses to women and children. She says it's taken decades for the Rosa Tralee Festival to agree to allow married or separated women to take part in the contest. Previously, if a contestant wasn't young and single, she wasn't acceptable. But now, the very moment that this happens, the trans community sets its sights on another exclusively female institution, having successfully embedded male sex offenders in Irish women's prisons and fully intact men in women's sport. Uh, the Tralee Festival folded like a cheap deck chair. That's just a couple of paragraphs from her uh, column this morning. If nothing else, whether you agree or disagree with uh, Brenda Power, I always find her incredibly honest and open and takes a brave stand, actually, on the whole trans issue. More on that uh, throughout the course of the morning. Um, another little sop for you if you're feeling the pinch uh, about a half a million pensioners and other people who are vulnerable in their households are going to get a double fuel bonus uh, after next month's budget. Uh, €35 Euros, the household benefit will be doubled under the latest proposal, uh, trying in some way uh, to tackle, um, you know, some way of dealing with what will be astronomical uh, fuel bills this coming winter. Of course, nothing's been done to try and hackle, handle or solve the question as to why uh, companies like BP or Shell or Exxon, or all of the major fuel, um, you know, I suppose those that actually, you know, drill for it, refine it, distribute it, and sell it, why their profits are so astronomical every three months. Uh, another form of transport, actually, very interesting, you may have noticed, an awful lot more e-scooters on the road. I see them in the mornings more now in traffic. Actually, the last couple of weeks, not so much, because August is very, very quiet in the mornings now. It's kind of builder's fortnight, and what have you, is commonly known as... But all, just generally speaking, more and more people on e-scooters in traffic. You know, you'd have a car, an e-scooter, a car. Uh, a lot of the time with their helmets. And a real worry, you see people on e-scooters with uh, pods in. You see people on e-scooters with the big clunky headphones on, uh, completely oblivious to what's going on around them. But there's been 1,373 traffic incidents now involving e-scooters in the past two years. Um, 440 of those were actual collisions. And some of them, according to the Gardaí, were fatal or involved serious and non-serious injuries. So you're seeing more of them on the roads now, and that's leading to more accidents, collisions and deaths, apparently. And scooters, as, as well as electric bikes, although they're very different because the scooter powers itself. The electric bike, you have to pedal. They're exempt and will be exempt from registration, from tax, from insurance, because they won't be able to travel over 25 kilometres an hour. So electric scooters that power along on the roads, of course, won't be paying tax, won't have insurance, and won't have to register like, like motor cars or, or motorbikes. The army have, to, have stood down at Dublin Airport, which is good news. We can all go, you could all go back using it. I, I try and avoid it 
as best I can because I hate flying back into Dublin Airport. I hate driving to Dublin to catch a plane and I hate coming back at uh, the early hours in the morning, coming back into Dublin Airport. That's why you can get out of Cork. It's just fantastic. And those within the health setting make the Irish Times today. To break down the statistics to say that 12 health service staff are being subjected to physical, verbal or sexual assault every single day. 12 assaults every single day. They could be verbal, they could be sexual, they could be physical. Nurses are bearing the brunt of the workforce assaults, according to the Irish Times this morning. Uh, They add up the amount in the space of about uh, a year and a half. 7,307 assaults on staff working for the health service. And not just medical staff, because also apparently there's been assaults on catering staff. There's been assaults on housekeeping staff. And the INMO says that one of the reasons is that because there's such a shortage of staff, that patients and their families are left for long periods of time, sometimes days, in inappropriate areas of the hospital while they're waiting for for a bed, they get very upset. And unfortunately, some then do vent their frustrations on frontline nurses, midwives, um, as I say, housekeeping staff and catering staff. If you have a story to share in that regard, if you're working on the frontline, do get in touch. Text 0868104106. Email. And I won't give out your details. It just won't. Email neil at redfm.ie. And that's why on Instagram, up in my feed yesterday, came an advert. Um, it's a healthcare job fair. I have no issue with this. They're entitled to do whatever they want. But did you ever wonder why so many doctors and nurses and midwives um, are leaving? Well, the ad said there are 72 hospitals and day surgeries in Sydney and Melbourne and Brisbane and Perth that want you to take the step down under. And they're calling out again for nurses and midwives to go to Australia. And the photograph is a man and a woman and a small little toddler Uh, walking the beach, probably Bondi Beach, at sunset. And what it's saying is, it's better here. Come on. You know it's better here. Come work in Australia. Uh, Actually, talking about beaches, there's a fabulous article in the Mail today from Tom Leonard in New York. You know with the, the heat waves and the drought and everything, right? So what's happened in America, in Las Vegas, is because of the drought and the intense heat, all of the water has dried up in many places, including in a couple of lakes, There's a place called Lake Mead, apparently. Um, And I don't mean to be, you know, too macabre at this hour of the morning, but when the water in the lake dried up, the lake gave up its grisly secrets of the Las Vegas mob wars. And they started to discover on the, um, you know, crusty, dry lake bed, body parts. There's photographs of skulls and jaws. There's a photograph of a man uh, or the remains of a man that was shot in the head and stuffed in a barrel and thrown into the lake. When the water receded, or indeed didn't recede, recede, it just literally evaporated, uh, the lake gave up all of its secrets. And I love this because we were chatting with Rory yesterday in the paper about um, Manchester United and the performance or lack of it. There's research out this morning uh, as to um, how many soccer fans would give up their team for love if their partner or or girlfriend or boyfriend, whatever the case may be, insisted. Apparently only one in five soccer fans would put their lover before their team. They just, the rest of them, um, you know, would never consider doing it. It, It's it's the football team first, even before love, apparently. And apparently who's, who are the most, who who are the most faithful to their club? Southampton fans, apparently. And the least faithful to their club? Newcastle fans. 
I wonder if they're able to update that research now where they find that it's not actually Newcastle or the least faithful anymore. It possibly could be Manchester United fans. You're listening to the number one talk show in Cork, The Neil Prenderville Show. It's the best in Cork. On Red FM. Stories regarding relationships and what have you. The uh, latest edition of RSVP magazine has the photo shoot from Simon Zebo and Elvira Fernandez's wedding. It's gorgeous photographs in it from down in Sheen Falls and a lovely, lovely interview of the couple and lovely photographs of their children, their extended family and everything. And I was reading the interview uh, with, uh, Simon, with Simon Zebo and Elvira uh, and one of the questions was a good one. It said, where's that fucking question gone? There it is. Here it is. The question was, um, tell us, how did you guys meet all those years ago? Simon says, we met when I was 16 and Elvira was 15. She was over learning English uh, for a year, which is a kind of transition year. But that's fine. Where did you meet? We crossed paths in a chipper called Denny's in Cork. So this would be Denny's in uh, just off... Uh, down around next to the Silver Key area. We crossed paths in the chipper called Denny's in Cork. She says, he saw me and fell in love. He says, I got my friend to go over and to ask her if she'd come and see me. And she says, I was like, what do you mean? If you want someone, you come over here. Isn't that always the way? My friend asked me, would you dance with her? My friend asked me, do you fancy her? But in the case of Simon and Elvira, I love it. They met in Denny's Chipper uh, down in, uh, just by Skahard there. By It's a good chipper, actually. They do fantastic chips. Fantastic chips. Good old-fashioned ones. So I wonder where you met your partner. We might talk about that a little later on this morning, see if we can organise a little prize. Can you beat that in Denny's Chipper? Uh, queuing up. Uh, ordering a burger or a bag of chips, whatever the case may be. Lights are open. We'll pick up the conversations after the break. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. And you can text 086-8104-106 straight to the phones. We go, I want to chat with Claire Barrett about her sister Kay. Claire, good morning. Hello. No, that's not happening, unfortunately. Can you hear me, Claire? That's strange. Okay, come back to it in a few minutes' time. While I'm doing that, actually, do you mind if I just catch up on a few bits and pieces with regards to issues that we were dealing with on the air uh, yesterday? Can I just go back to Iron Man, interestingly, because it was a huge success and at least 10,000 people, probably more on a daily basis, were down there. Edwards from Yall, he says, I'm disgusted but not surprised at the lack of coverage of the Iron Man event in Yall over the weekend by RTE. Last time I checked, RTE is state-subsidised. Money's coming from the taxpayer. It also gets the licence fee, which is paid by you and I. Uh, so effectively, us citizens pay RTE's wages, not the government. I'm sure if this event took place in Hoth or somewhere else in the vicinity of Dublin, there would have been widespread coverage. A massive effort was put in place by all involved to make sure y'all looked spectacular for this international event. The weather was even on our side. It would have been a huge boost for y'all to have been showcased on our screens by the national broadcaster. However, they just couldn't be arsed, says Edward in y'all. It's all very well, you are, you're absolutely right. It's all very well sending that email to me, but you also should be sending it to the Director General and those in RTE and those who make the call as to who should go where and cover what. Because that's not the first time. Uh, that RTE didn't do the Ironman. I have no idea why. Um, I, don't, I have no idea why they wouldn't want to do it. But can I just say, Edward, you're not alone on that uh, because I did see online John Finn said the Ironman competition in Yall on Saturday, Sunday was a hugely successful event and a great boost for Yall and the broader East Cork area. However, if you were relying on RTE, you'd hardly know it took place at all. Dominic said thousands of competitors in the Ironman triathlon in Yall and East Cork 
totally ignored by our national broadcaster in their news bulletins. Another one, Anne says, Hi, there was a worldwide sporting event in Yall at the weekend. The Ironman athletes from all over the world participating and not a mention of it on RTE News. An utter disgrace. And that was a tweet that she actually sent to RTE. And Dom says, Disgraceful from RTE. One of the biggest sporting events in Ireland this weekend, the Ironman Triathlon. Not a mention on the national broadcaster. If it was in Dublin, it would get plenty of coverage. And you know something? That coverage would have done huge benefit to you all if they had covered it. I mean, huge. It would have um, springboarded and highlighted you all on a national level where people all over the country would see it. And the video footage and the live footage of the beautiful beach and the beautiful town would be shown to the 32 counties and over the world as well. And it could have made a huge difference to the economy of you all, you know, trying to get it thriving again, 365. It didn't happen, and it was a very, very wasted opportunity. So don't feel alone, Edward. There were other people unhappy and annoyed with it as well, and so you should be. Let me see if that line's any better. Claire, good morning. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can, yeah. Thank you. You're not on speakerphone, are you? I I was earlier. Sorry, I've, I've taken myself off speakerphone. Oh, well done, well done. I just wanted to chat with you, because I've been spending some time looking at uh, your sister's life, Kay's life, uh, going way okay. back to her childhood and bringing us right up to date where she's now in jail in Limerick Prison. Where yeah, would where yeah. should we start with this? Um, back to the back end of the 70s when... Uh, when she was when she was when she was born, perhaps. I suppose if you wanted, like it's eighties. She was born in nineteen eighty, but yeah, I my, suppose my apologies, that's kind of my where apologies. that's where the story starts. Really, I suppose with Mam, you know, in hospital. So because your Mam was a long term inpatient, wasn't she, in psychiatric treatment in, in Saint Anne's and schizophrenia? I think was it. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I suppose that like. It, I just witnessed, and my aunt, like we've witnessed the pendulum swing from the old Victorian style of psychiatric hospitals to like nothing really being available now because, you know, she's in prison, not nothing being available, but, but like the Mental Health Act of 2001 changed so much that, um, mm. you know, it's just such a drastic change from being in hospital to being in prison. Yeah, so that's the way it was when Kay was born and when, when you guys were born, you're mother spent a lot of her life in residential care, didn't she? Even a lot of her adult life in residential care. How did that impact on your on your rearing? It was difficult. It really was. Like, I mean, we were we were um living with our with our dad and our well, we were living with our grandparents mm. and then like my grandmother was quite old and she died when we were six and five. And then that I think that that affected us as well, you know, like that whole attachment. Um, and oh, there was a lot of there was a lot of difficulties in the family. There yeah, was arguing, yeah. and you know, there was conflict. Um, yeah, yeah. But in spite of that, just dealing with 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 Kay herself, um, lovely person, very popular. Ended up, you know, living and leading her own life. Uh, went to London, didn't she? She did, yeah, yeah, yeah. She traveled the world. Like she, we both lived in Boston for a number of years. Boston, didn't know that. Okay, Boston as well. Yeah, yeah. everything's yeah, going good. Yeah. Making plans for a future, working as a nanny, things like that. But then in two thousand and nine, she had uh, her first nervous breakdown. Yeah, correct. Yeah. yeah. Was she diagnosed then with anything? She was diagnosed with bipolar at that time. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And did she did she have any stays in 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 healthcare facilities and psychiatric units or anything? Just kind of small stays, like seventy two hour stays, 
nothing really yeah. long term. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and and at some stage, you moved back to Ireland then. Yeah, in 2009, she moved back to Ireland. I suppose that time. Oh, sorry, 2017. 17. Yeah. Herself and her boyfriend broke up, and she came back to Ireland then. And if you pick up the story then, if you like, from around 17, 18 and 19, 19 um, did she have more issues, uh, more psychotic episodes and more behavioural problems, was it? Yeah, they, they, were, they, they became more frequent. Like it would be kind of once every six months and then it kind of became a monthly occurrence. And so they, they became more frequent. So you could see you could see her deteriorating over time. Right, right. Right. Because I was looking through a lot of the back history and she would have traumatic A&E visits, Garda call-outs, ambulance call-outs, numerous admissions to St. Michael's in in the Mercy. And this went on through 19 and and 20 and 21. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, it did. Yeah, Yeah. Um, it was quite traumatic and we kind of didn't know where to turn. Um, So... Yeah, it was, it was very difficult. Mm, mm. And at some stage then, she was discharged from men, the mental health service. Why would that happen? Sorry, could you say that again? At some stage then, Kay is discharged from all mental health services and the reasons given was were given for uncooperative behaviour. Was that it? Yeah, because I guess Kay, like a symptom of her illness was she became quite aggressive and um, quite uh, like she she felt like she knew better than the the medics and she she became uncooperative. Yeah, and I I just feel like the relationships broke down. I know, yeah. and she was discharged from all services. Yeah, and were you very, a real were, shock? I can well imagine because she obviously needed needs help and treatment and care, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Like that was the crucial time when she was really suffering and she really needed the help at that point. Yeah. And there was a thing called DBT that she was on the waiting list for. Yeah. Um, I think that that probably would have really helped, but I feel like it just didn't come on time. Like there was a two year wait list. Um, And the diagnosis kind of kept changing as well. So it's kind of hard to figure out what would be the best treatment for her. So outside of the healthcare system, and, I, and I'm right in saying that, aren't I? She began calling the Gardaí, she began calling emergency services because she'd be very panicked and she'd find herself distraught, wouldn't she? Yeah, yeah. Like she she kind of, uh, at night time, she would really kind of like uh, just hear voices and imagine that the house is on fire and really like panic. And her go-to thing was to call 999. Um, which probably wasn't the best thing, you know, like to do, like she just got into this pattern because they would come and they'd give her attention and it kind of reassured her. Um, so, yeah, that was the pattern that she got into. And do you know, what was her diagnosis? I know one stage there was a bipolar disorder diagnosis, wasn't there? Yeah, she was first diagnosed with bipolar, I think, in 2009. And then that changed to schizoaffective disorder because she was hearing voices and she was imagining... Um, imagining things and like she said that she she saw a man and she saw things and she heard things that weren't there I know. Yeah. and then yeah. it changed then again to um, a personality disorder but I think it might be a combination of the three but I, I don't know just from the outside I'm not an expert so I, I know, know but you were you were watching um, her condition deteriorate must have been very worrying and upsetting for everybody 
Yeah, it really was. I remember her first breakdown. That was the worst. Like, uh, it was just just seeing her talking to people that weren't there and just, you just want to reach out and help her, but you just don't know what to do. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. And it's did any stage, it's been a long, long road, it has, and you're still on the road, as the fellow says. And was any, yeah. was any connection or reference ever made to, to, to your mum's situation and what she was suffering with, the fact that Kay seemed to be replicating it. I'm just curious. Yeah, no, it wasn't. And I always found that quite um, kind of frustrating because I felt like like if anybody looked at my mum and Kay, they would see the similarity. They looked quite alike. And I, I remember saying it to some of the doctors and they said, oh, no, we have to look at Kay as a separate patient. But like, I think you always need to look at a person holistically from where they came from. And like that attachment wasn't there with mum, so that must have affected Kay as well. Yeah, yeah, so, um, yeah. Yeah, just I, I felt like there was a lot of um, l- putting people into boxes, like labeling a person and not really looking at the whole picture a bit. Not trying to connect dots that you thought could have been connected and it could have helped. Is yeah. what you're saying, really, isn't it? Yeah, it could have helped. Yeah, yeah it could have helped. How then? How then did we get to say, for instance, guard involvement and the suggestion that the family get a safety order? Were were were, were her were her behavioural traits angry, or were there issues of safety, or, or what? There were, but it was it was getting so bad that Kay was calling the guards. Like we had guards in our house nearly every day, and I, I we all could see this was not good for anybody like yeah. as in this was during COVID and the Gardaí were needed in other places this is wasting their time and we, like we were all just frustrated and thinking what what can we do to, to prevent this from happening and Kay was really deregulated and shouting and roaring and being very kind of aggressive and, and they and like we were kind of frightened for just being in the house was, was horrible. You'd be walking on eggshells yeah, and yeah. I feel like dad was really stressed and I was worried for his health as well. And they suggested the safety order that if she was brought in front of a judge, the judge would clearly see that this was a medical matter. And I, I thought that that the judge would have kind of more power to kind of say, look, can can the medical team assist this case? But it just went down, it went further down the criminal system. Yeah, you you thought that the safety order might help or expedite psychiatric treatment, help counselling intervention and things like that. Yeah, but, yeah. But you found that it didn't actually, it bounced you into potential um, responses to her actions. Yeah, because I, I guess the, psych, the psychiatrist, he gets the final word and like the judge isn't an expert in, in mental health, so he has to listen to the psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist was saying that it was a personality disorder, not a psychiatric and what disorder. And what did it mean? What did, what did it mean then to have a safety order against Kay? What did that mean? It meant that if Kay ever kind of became deregulated and shouting and roaring and calling the guard, like disrupting the peace, I think was mentioned, that that would then mean that the guards would bring her to prison, you know, like that she would be remanded in prison or that like she'd get so many chances to, to behave herself because we were, like we were told, it was a behaviour issue and we were encouraged by the medical team as well to get the safety order so that Kay would have consequences to her behaviour. But how could she, but, it, but how could your sister even determine the consequences of her actions? Know, She's unwell, like. Yeah, no, completely. That was... 
we we were so desperate at that time. I remember we just didn't know where to turn, and we were asking the medical team, and they said, "Okay, needs to realise the consequence of our behaviour." But like that, like exactly what you said, like she was mentally unwell, and I I don't believe that it was just a behaviour problem. It was more than that. Clearly, anybody on the street would see that it was more than that. I mean, I, I I'm just looking at the history of her life and the family's life and then reading the various court reports. And it's quite lengthy. There were there were a few different judges involved and I'm not here to criticise any of the judges or because I don't have all of the full information. But just as a lay person, gleaning what I can from it, it seems extraordinary to me. It's like, it's like something from decades ago, you know? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree 100%. Like, I remember speaking to friends of mine in, in England and they were just like... And, and my aunt lives in France, and they they just they just can't comprehend what's going on in the system that that happened. I know, I know. So anyway, this so the safety order is in place, and then run about. And then we feel we feel like we were at fault for having the safety order there, but we we were left with no option, and I genuinely mean that. Like we we just didn't know where to turn. We didn't. Well, know. you've ex- you've explained that avenue and that route and the reasons why you took yeah. it. So, if, and I mean to upset you here, but December then of last year, there was like two hundred calls to the emergency services in one month alone. Where, where, yeah. When the guards called, did Kay draw a knife and was, it, was she claiming she had a gun and threatening self harm, things like that? Yeah. Did yeah. that lead to a court appearance then an arrest by the guardie? Yeah, that did, Kay. Like I'll never forget, it was Christmas week, and I went back to I think it was. Abandoned. This one was in, and Kay was so deregulated. She was in the back of the the paddy wagon, like, and she was like a wild animal. I'll never forget it. Like, she had just she had deteriorated and deteriorated. She couldn't control her emotions. She was like, I just remember people standing outside the court and watching her walking in, and they were just like the poor girl. Like she was like a trapped animal. It was it was really inhumane. I mean, like just. Uh, for for it to deteriorate that bad and for her to be like to, to be in the medical system and for it to get to that point like how did that happen you know I think it was, it was, a, it there, was, was like, a, there was a situation in the house where she, she thought the house was on fire um, yeah 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 I mean what was Kay what was Kay saying about where she wanted to be or what she wanted to happen in her more lucid moments she wanted to be treated in hospital in the Mercy Hospital. But they were saying that she wasn't a case for hospital, that she was, that it was behavioural. Okay. She felt that she needed to be somewhere safe. Okay. Because she okay. knew herself that she wasn't, um, like, she wasn't okay. feeling safe in herself. So know? there was a court appearance where she was given a suspended sentence on the basis that she must refrain from calling emergency services if she actually didn't need them. Now, that's quite vague as to whether she needed them or not. The family would say she clearly did need um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they, and the, even the judge, the judge said that, like he said that, like she can hardly be blamed for trying to get help when she needs it. So, but I also so that resulted the in a really frustrated. The guards were frustrated with the callouts, is I, it or what? Yeah, totally. Like I mean, they were they were really sick of, and they had to come out every time Kay called, even though they knew that it would be just a cry for help. But I, I do feel, and it's nothing against the guards. I feel like. It was a quick solution to put Kay into prison because they just couldn't waste any more time. Okay. And I understand that too, but like... How do we jump, not, how do we right. jump then to, to that part of the conversation? Because the suspended sentence was there on the basis that she would refrain from making the calls. But did she then start making the calls again? 
She did, and we couldn't believe that she did, but she was, that, that's how deregulated she was. She she was just panicked, and she would, that was her go-to, like, safety was just to ring the guards and feel safe with, with professionals. She would always say, I need professional help. So if it wasn't medical, she felt safer with the guards. But by making the calls again, that breached the bail conditions and breached the suspended sentence, did it? Yeah, it did, yeah. What happened yeah, then? It, well, I, I feel like the judge was trying his best to get Kay not to go to prison. Like, he was very compassionate. Sorry, did the guards he, call to the house again then? They did, yeah, they did, yeah. Okay. And that yeah. resulted in another court appearance? That resulted in another court appearance, yeah. And that was the court appearance that triggered the suspended sentence and a custodial sentence, was it? To be quite honest, I, I don't know all the legal... Okay. Well, tell me what you do know, just in your own words. I, 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 just, knew, I just know that Kay got caught in this, this criminal system where she was crying out for help and the guards were frustrated. And I think that was the quickest solution to not have her waste any more ambulance time and police time was just to put her in jail because the medical team weren't treating her. She's not a criminal. She's not. She's not. She's not a criminal, but she's been locked into all these suspended sentences for things that, like, for crying out for help, basically. You know. But she isn't a criminal. But she finds herself in a criminal institution in Limerick Prison. Yeah, and like, if you if you would say wasting guards' time is is a crime, well, then she's guilty of that. But she's also just crying out for help. Would she not be better in a residential centre? Oh, completely. We've tried that, like the St. Coleman's and McCroom, but she became so deregulated there that they, they didn't want her there anymore. She was discharged. Like, we want her in, like, Cork, first of all, so we can visit her and help her. But we just, we like, in my mind, it doesn't seem like there is any residential places for people that unwell. So that when there's not a residential place and somebody who's unwell continually calls the emergency services... They end up in court, told stop, they keep doing it, they send them to jail. Yeah, Am I missing yeah. something here? Like, well, well, I, that's how I understand it. I feel like, you know, like before there was loads of large psychiatric hospitals, like they, they just seem to have kind of got rid of them, like because they wanted to get out of this institution kind of culture and, and then replaced it with nothing. Well, they say community services, but in my mind, community services, it's not resourced enough and there isn't, it's not robust enough to actually help people. Okay. Now, I understand that courts can be very compassionate and judges can be quite compassionate, but this was the call that was made because of the breach of the suspended sentence and, and what have you. So I guess it just, it just triggered a custodial sentence and she's in Limerick Prison. How long has she been there already? Um, since... December. She's been in and out of prison kind of since December. In and out. Well, yeah, she's been. She 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 came out of prison in February, and then she made another call to the Gardaí, and she she's been in prison since then. How is she coping there? Do you go? Do you visit? I'm going up on Saturday, and like she gets one visit every two weeks, um, but she has good times and bad times. She went through a really bad time where she was completely suicidal and depressed and just couldn't go on like and like it, it's 
it sounds like she there's no nature and she's only in a cell on her own and like for anybody that would be hard but with somebody with a mental health condition it's like torture it really is is she getting help in there of a psychiatric nature she is but the psychiatrist is really spread out like the psychiatrist is supposed to be for like every 150 inmates but like this psychiatrist is spread out over like over 250 inmates so it's not it's not really adequate no it's far from ideal yeah it's uh, someone called it the lesser of two evils I, i don't know about that i mean Again, I'm, yeah. not, I'm, not, I'm, listen, I'm yeah. not provided with all of the detail and the minutiae of the back and forth and the court appearance. But just as a just as a lay person observing, you you're, you and the family want her out of jail, don't you? Oh, com- completely, completely. But we also know the the heartache and the without any support put in place for when she's not in prison. Like, where does she go? What does she do? Like, she she was wandering the streets in Cork City and like. We don't want her in Dunamore shouting and roaring like deregulated and frightening the neighbours' kids and stuff. You know, we want her like in in a medical in medical care care. You know. And has anybody said to you why that's not possible to achieve? Um, because there, because of the way the institutions that Mam was in, that's been gone and that's seen as being less. That's not that's not morally right or that's not humane for people but also like what is what is humane like is it humane for her to be in prison like the mental health act in 2001 as far as i know changed all like you know um the autonomy the patients have like as in families can't say whether a a, a person needs to be hospitalized it's all down to the patient Mm. Mm. um so I just think there's just been such a change in... So when, when the, the, the larger psychiatric institutions were closed down, and a lot of them for the right reasons, there was no plan B. Um, yeah, they it. talk yeah. of community care, but you know that, yeah. that's, that doesn't always work. You know? That's exactly it. Yeah, there was no plan B. It's like, okay, let's close all these horrible institutions, but and we all agree they were Victorian-style horrible places. Like, I visited Mammon every week, but but it, that was better than what Kay's going through because they've put nothing in place to help. Because there's always going to be people that are going to be mentally vulnerable. So, what, like, what, like, who decided that to close all the hospitals and then have nothing in place for people that need it? So she's in jail because how can I put this? She's in jail because the state has failed to look after people with mental illness when they need it most. And uh, yeah. and. I know. I know you went. I know you went for the safety order. I, I understand that. When when, yeah. when is when is she actually due to be released? Um, December, mid December, I think. But that's too long. You're saying you want to. I mean, like, yeah. how how are you endeavouring to get her out? Well, like by the help of the media and just like getting the getting the message out there because we just we're we're at, we're at a loss. Like we don't know, and it feels it feels like the longer Kay's in prison, the more she's been treated like a, a, a criminal. And I, I also feel like Kay's not the only one. Like, I feel like it's kind of a part of society that's kind of brushed aside because it's seen as, oh, oh, they're people with mental health problems. They're lesser than, or, and there's usually drinking drugs involved and then nobody wants to hear about them. And like, it's, it's a real worry, like, as in it's, it's neglected because 
it's just not seen as being as important as other things going on in the country. Like yeah, you cl- you really do care deeply for your sister, don't you? I mean, even this this conversation like, isn't come easy. It was the two of us growing up together. We parent like we looked after each other because, you know, she was like a mom and a sister to me. So yeah, yeah. And have you been in touch with any politicians on the matter? I mean, Ella McEntee is the justice minister. Yeah, we have. We've, we've we've been in touch with them all. Like we've tirelessly sent emails. Like we've, and that's why we we became kind of despondent because we we felt like we were reaching out to everybody and we, we were just getting closed doors until Noel Baker from the Irish Examiner approached me because he, his his article is kind of made people realise, like, what's going on here? How can this possibly happen? But it is happening. Like, it's just shocking, actually, when you hear the story, but that's actually what's happening. I couldn't believe it when I was reading his article. I just said, this is 2022. It's not the 1950s. I know, exactly. Like, and, 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 like, politicians, I've spoken, they've rang me, and some of them have been very sympathetic, and they've listened and said, it's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong. That's all we hear is that it's wrong. But where do we go with that? Like, how can we change things? Like, well, it's like pushing it. It's just like ki- kicking a can down the road. Because let's say that, let's say the K comes out in November or whenever, or early December. So nothing will, nothing will have changed with regards to her condition or help. So she could no. find herself back in another court and back again in yeah, prison. Yeah, completely. I mean, that's the thing. Like, then that's happened before. She's, she's come out of prison with the promise that she'd be the first to have DBT and it just hasn't materialised and then like if, if anybody comes out of prison it's a hard transition now don't mind if you're medically vulnerable, mentally vulnerable and there, there's just no, first of all they shouldn't be going into prison but the fact that they're coming out then in, into society without any support like what do they expect, like anybody would know that that's not a good idea and it's not going to work. But in all the time that she's been in jail there was never one doll question raised on the floor of the doll by an opposition TD, say, by anybody within Sinn Féin. Fianna Fáil didn't raise the matter. Fianna Gael, nobody? No, I... I nobody asked the I Justice feel. Minister to respond to it or the Health Minister to respond well, to it in the doll? There, 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 there could have been. I, well, I, I didn't hear there about was, it. There was something in July, all right, about Stephen Donnelly and Helen McEntee. They did. But uh, that's why I feel like it's a forgotten part of society because mental illness, it's, it's that taboo again about mental illness. And um, like, also But nobody stood up and said, why is a Cork woman with a history of, these are Noel Baker's words, with a history of serious mental illness um, where the health system ran out of options and they turned to the justice system for that safety order, I know, is now in prison. Yeah, and her family I, want her but, out. <laughs> yeah, like we were shocked by it, but we didn't know... Like, we thought that that was, is this just what happens now because there's no psychiatric hospitals, they just all go to prison. Like, it seemed like the judge was used to hearing these cases. Like, it's like, well, this is what happens if they fall through the cracks. They go down the They go to prison. Yeah, there is no... I can't get my head around it. And I think because Kay is, is such a good person, like, she is, like, the kindest person you would ever meet. And, like... She's not. There's no drugs or alcohol. Like it just it's be, it's beggar's belief because Kay is is not that is not a criminal. So She's you know the it. real Kay, don't you? Before the illness beset her, you know her from childhood and yeah, her younger she, years. Yeah, she's like she's like a big teddy bear. She is, and everybody loves her. Like she's she's the person we all go to with our problems. You know, she's she's lovely. You'd love her. Like, what have we become? 
what have we become? What have we become? Like, it's a barbaric society. This is what happens. And like, oh, yeah, it, it, it's just, I don't know, beggar's belief. Like, it really does. What, I ask, what else can I say except have you share your story like you do? What happens next? I, I don't know. Do you? I, I, I really don't know, but I, I just want, I want Kay to get help because it's it's cruel what's happening to her being in a cell you on do, her own. Yeah. And you also want people to know what's happening. Yeah. And I, I don't think modern the only society. one. I think that there is others. Like, I mean, Ireland, Ireland actually has been highlighted by the UN Committee for Failing um, to ratify the treaty, you know, to monitor human rights. Like, so, like, we are, we're, like, we're, we're, we're being watched and, it's like, the, the prison system is not a place for, for vulnerable people to go, you know? It could well be something that you might talk to Amnesty International about, perhaps? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it could well I, be deemed a human rights issue. I, I don't know. I'm not a, of a legal mind. I, I don't know. The Irish Penal Reform Trust, they're very, they're very good. And out of everybody, they've been help, the most helpful and they're they're screaming that, but it's like they're not being listened to. It's just bizarre. Uh, it really is. Yeah. You know, it really yeah. is. Please do stay in touch, uh, Claire Barrett. Please do. Of course. Um, and of course. thank you for sharing your story. Be very interested to hear what the people of Cork listening to this make of modern Ireland and our modern society in the age and the year of 2022 that this can happen. But thanks for taking the call. I really do appreciate it. Not at all. It. My pleasure. And I just hope that, I hope that, somebody out there can help or that you know if we come together and try to help people that are vulnerable you know okay but thank you for listening not at all Claire lovely chatting with you thank you so much thank you Claire Barrett on Bye. behalf of her sister Kay Barrett in Limerick Prison text 0868104106 pick up the phone 0818104106 if you have a story to share email neil at redfm.ie hard to believe hey it's Dave join me weekdays from 4 for Dave Max Drive where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home big hits loads of fun features and traffic info what more could you need join me weekdays from 4 Dave Max Drive Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Lots of uh, people actually giving shout-outs to the guards, uh, people who took part in Ironman at the weekend. Anthony and Colette Wolf were in touch. Great couple. Love them. They said, hope you're well. Just thought you might like to know that our son-in-law, Edward Cosgrave, came back from Canada, uh, came back Saturday take part in Ironman and Yall. He did it on Sunday. Badly injured in, well, injured badly in a, in a bike run, in the bike run part of it, but against all of the odds, and after 50 minutes, they allowed him to continue, and he went on to finish the Ironman after 16 hours. It was amazing to see the perseverance of those that participated to the finish at such an amazing event. Thank you, Anthony. He also sent me some of the photographs of the injury that the poor misfortune did to his leg. Looks quite painful, but he got back up on the bike and finished it. So well done, Edward Cosgrave. And thanks for getting in touch, Anthony. Uh, Iron Man, if the citizens of y'all aren't happy with RTE's coverage of Iron Man, don't pay your TV license. You'll get bucket loads of coverage then, says Pat. Maybe you don't know, but Iron Man hold exclusive rights to all events, so RTE couldn't have been able to show it. Yeah, they may have uh, exclusive rights to all of the actual triathlon events, uh, you know, doing anything to do with covering the actual, sorry, the Iron Man event, covering the swim or covering the bike ride or covering uh, the swim, the bike ride or indeed the marathon. But there will be no problem at all having RTE cameras down there filming the people, right? And the enjoyment and the weather 
and the excitement and the entertainment. That Nobody owns the exclusive rights to any of that. So I don't quite buy that. Um, Baldy Barber says, maybe the organisers didn't do enough, a good enough PR job with RTE. Did they make contact with them? Well, that's fair enough. But do you think they didn't know about it? Do you believe they didn't know about it? RTE's done nothing for Cork over the years. People in Cork need to come together and stop paying the licence fee. Yeah, you stop paying the licence fee, uh, you see the kind of trouble that it'll get you into. I paid it again last week. I begrudgingly pay it. Um, I remember it was... I remember once, uh, yeah, I was on the Today Show once when I used to do the Today Show as a as a panelist, and um, I, was, I enjoyed it. It was it was it was good fun. But I remember I remember once on the air talking about this topic at the time about the license fee, and I was saying nothing will ever change with regards to anything to do with uh, you know RTE or the state of you know television in Ireland or the disparity between RTE and Virgin or commercial radio until people get rid of the license fee. And I think I may have. It's claimed anyway that I said that people shouldn't pay their license fee. (laughs) I was very quickly dropped from the RTE Today panel after that, I can tell you. (laughs) So be it. Anyway, um, just another one here. Talk about shout outs and people are doing well. Can you please say congratulations to an amazing young girl called Aideen Mullins? At the age of 16, she became the first Irish person to win a medal at the WBC World Thai Championships, the Youth Mua Thai. I hope I'm pronouncing right. It was held in Canada. She's done herself and her family and her club so proud. She has trained so hard to get where she is. There's never enough coverage for our young sports people. We as a family are so proud of her and can't wait for them to come back to Balafihan to celebrate. So congratulations. There's a big celebration awaiting. Aideen Mullins coming back um, with the... uh with a medal from Canada. So well done to you. Uh, another few texts from this morning. Um, you talk about nurses, you talk about midwives and ads on Instagram to go work in Australia. With the ads for nurses on Instagram, should the government not bring in something whereby if you avail of a grant like a Susie grant or your education or training is subsidized, that you must work within the HSE for a set period of time or else you have to pay back the cost of the grant to the taxpayer. Interesting thought. And how I met my other half, well, I was telling you about, about Simon and Alvira. They met, um, you know, in the queue, in the chipper in Denny's. Uh, I was working in a hotel and left to go to work in another industry. I suppose you were that good. The hotel contacted to come back, and I did. Not only did I get a great promotion, but I met my partner, who they had hired in my absence. And we are now expecting our first child in December. I love those kind of stories. Thank you for them. And then just one more, talking about Cork City not being safe. This is the carry-on that you have to put up with when you're out socialising. I was at a Westlife, the Westlife gig on Friday night. I asked the couple in front to sit down because we couldn't see. The abuse I got was awful. Then I went for a drink and the queue was so long I didn't mind. Uh, waited. Then four girls came out of the toilet and joined two other girls ahead of me in the queue for a drink. I pointed it out to them and again I was told to let me put it this way, shut up. Young security guy was standing next to us and I said, it's your job. And he said, I'm only supposed to supervise the queue. I mean... You would think that people queue jumping would be involved in supervising the queue. I hate queue jumpers, don't you? I really and truly do. So two people were in the queue for drinks. Four other girls came along out of the toilet and joined the other two. So then we're six ahead of you instead of two. I know, I know, I know, I get it. Very annoying. You know, talk about drinks. And I just mentioned this ahead of the break. We got an awful fright yesterday. 
an awful fright because we were contacted by a caller who said that they are, their local shop told them that they would be no longer stocking Tanora, the tangerine flavoured drink that's manufactured now by the Coca-Cola company and much beloved on Leaside. And the shop said to him that they'll be no longer taking deliveries. And he was told it was because Coca-Cola had suspended the manufacturing of the drink because it was proving unprofitable given that it was only being sold in Cork. So we found that shocking. I mean, that would be absolutely devastating, wouldn't it? So we contacted Coca-Cola to ask them, is it true? Um, Were they getting rid of it? Were they stopping the production of of Tanora? Because it was only being sold in Cork and it wasn't profitable. And they came back and they said, Coca-Cola continues to manufacture Tanora on the island of Ireland. It has no plans to suspend the production of Tanora. But, they did say, due to a short-term supply issue relating to an ingredient in Tanora, we had limited stock of Tanora for a period of time. However, full production will restart next week with Cork's favourite drink back in retailers in the coming weeks. Coca-Cola would like to apologise to customers for any inconvenience caused. So, crisis averted, thankfully. But it got me thinking then last night, of the old ads uh, for Tanora. Did you manage to find the lyrics of Wet your whistle, wet your whistle with Tanora? I, I didn't. It's the one you want some more. Uh. <laughs> Do you remember it, no? I don't. Uh, when was this? 70s, maybe? <laughs> Do you think I, I rest my case? <laughs> yeah. I rest my case. Seventies. Do I remember that? Yes, as a twenty-eight-year-old, I definitely remember that. Do you remember that? Wet your whistle with Tanora. Seamus might. It's huh? the drink you want. No, he, <laughs> Tanora's a job, eh? <laughs> Have a listen to this ad. This is. I worked on South Coast Radio back in the day. The Super Part. This is an ad for Tanora in '82 back in South Coast. Have an aged. When you've had a long day, had a hard day, you've had a day out. Uh, it's interesting though you should ask Coca-Cola why don't they share the love with the rest of the country I did hugely market Tanora all over the country yeah I've asked for a representative of Coca-Cola to come on and talk about our our what about I say our exclave nation's beautiful tangerine flavoured drink um, so they I haven't heard back from them but I did ask them why they don't market it outside of, of Dublin I mean it's the berries like but then I don't know I feel a bit I feel a bit conflicted because on one half on one part of me would love to share it with the rest of the world or the rest of the country and another half of me what loves the, the fact that it's, we have it all to ourselves. What was the ingredient know? that they were lacking? Was it a shipping problem for would, a colour or an additive or something? They wouldn't tell me. But or did they is, run out of tangerines? Uh, no, I don't think so. All I right. think if you look at any Aldi or Lidl or any other supermarket around, there's plenty full tangerines. So crisis so, averted. Crisis averted for the moment. I just remember, um, I remember my, my abiding memory of Tenora was, um, this is a good, my brother did a, a, a film school project back in the day and they had to come up with an ad and my brother did an infomercial for Tanora which involved girls called Nora <laughs> that were covered in tan and they were essentially blended to make Tanora that was the, the whole backstory of the infomercial I'm sure I'll find it somewhere but that's all I can think about when I see it could we not start um, uh, a situation where we can make Tanora uh, a dedicated 
Cork drink like they have Jog, done. Jog did. Jason like, O'Gorman did. He's got fantastic well, graphics. Well, no, like the like Waterford have the bland that's protected. So if we could get Tanora protected, Coca-Cola <laughs> couldn't stop producing it. <laughs> See, my fear, start the petition. My, my fear was that they did decide. Listen, this is just this is just messing around with this thing. We'll get rid of it. So was I, especially when the caller that called into us um, had said like that's what their local shop had told them. Like he said, that's what the guy at the shop told him that it wasn't proven profitable. He was so, so it was shelved for want of a better word. Not true. Price <laughs> no. is averted. Price Dodge averted. There. I, I hope to come back to Tanora a little later on because I want to chat to Claire because she did a bit. She did a deep dive into Tanora, uh, and it goes way way back. Some more on Tenora. Your thoughts on it? Text 0868104106. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818104106. Red FM. In the conversation yesterday with Dr. Richard Hogan and indeed Eileen Keane from Jumpstart Your Confidence, uh, part of the conversation evolved around an article that I read in the Financial Times on Saturday where in, a, in schools now you have specific uh, employees um, it wouldn't be. It wouldn't necessarily be guidance counselor. That there, it would be a specific member of staff that would deal with student issues and and advocate on behalf of students. And that person in the school said that they must now treat all students in the school setting, their equivalent anyway to secondary school in the school setting, as being victims of trauma. That's the starting point. Assume that every student. Has trauma, uh, and I, I thought that was that was quite alarming. We were chatting about that that yesterday. A lot of texts on that. Um, doesn't Jim and a lot of it had to do with uh, you know covered an awful lot of aspects of it, but some of the texts were related to different parts of the conversations, particularly with regards to technology and online and smartphones. Jim Daly, TD Neil wants to make smartphones be allowed only for over sixteen-year-olds. That would be fabulous. Parents nowadays have to keep kids entertained all the time for the, peer that, for the fear that poor Jimmy and Mary would moan. Instead of letting them be kids and enjoy the ups and downs of life. Sure, if you don't have a mental illness, a gay friend, a rescue dog or do a bit of sea swimming, you just don't fit it these day, Fit in these days. It's sad, really. Yeah, there are many, many lists now and boxes that have to be ticked. ticked. Um, Another one or two. Dr. Richard Hogan made the point about childhood anxiety. um, And that can also be made regarding the trans issue. The recognized mental condition, gender dysphoria, affects between 0.1 and 0.6% of the population. Yet we promote the idea of gender fluidity to our children as though it's par for the course, in spite of the percentage being so tiny. We're putting the weight of the state and the rule of law behind skin-deep teenage kicks that have no more legitimacy than teenage fads like punks or goths or teddy boys, says Richie. Uh, Call this fake mental health epidemic for what it is, malingering. We're encouraging a generation of hypochondriacs, full stop, says Paddy. And just one or two more. Taking a phone from a child or an adolescent is the proper situation. It's a fantastic idea. However, If the struggle to take it becomes physical each time, like I'm sure in some cases, then the parent most likely will leave the phone to the child to avoid any conflict. You know what? That's, that is a real life scenario. You're, you're right in that regard. Sometimes it could play out like that. So, uh, your child tells you that he doesn't want to live anymore and can't handle this life. Do I A, tell him to cop on and stop with all this drama, as the man on the radio said, it's not normal for kids. Or B, take him to the doctor, recommend CAMS, put him on tablets, because CAMS has a two-year waiting list. So what should you do? 
Well, I don't know what you do when you follow the conversation from earlier on this morning where the health system is broken and instead of getting uh, mental health services, somebody actually goes to prison. Just on your topic, the message here is that everyone deals with life and stress differently. I'm not a child in school, but in the last few months, another girl in work and myself had awful trouble with bullying in the workplace. She handled it by going to work and talking to to no one. Jess ended up going to work, not talking with anybody. I ended up being signed off work for 11 weeks and on antidepressants because I couldn't handle it mentally or physically. The key here is that we are all different. And if a doctor can help, then why not take that help? I don't have any other mental health issues, but that really affected me. And if she hadn't helped me, my doctor, I don't know where I'd be. I'll just add that it was made worse by no help from the workplace whatsoever. For the first time ever, I went to a doctor without a physical problem and I roared crying in the office with her. I had no one else I could have told about this. The message being put across on your show could stop kids now going and getting help. It's 12 years since I started first year in school. Um, It was hard. I'd appreciate if you got to read this text out anonymously and thank you for that. We give these kids three months off school in the summer, Neil, with nothing to do and parents are under pressure to go to work. So they're at home alone. Then on the other side of the year, the media puts so much pressure on them to get the necessary results in their exams. Otherwise, if it weren't for that, their lives wouldn't be worth living, they're told, if you don't get the proper exam results. Yeah, there is all that pressure. Why aren't children told that there is no such thing as a perfect human being? As a species, we are flawed by design. Each and every one of us has its faults, says Paddy. Very interesting text there. Keep them coming. Text 0868104106. a couple of nights ago, I had an extraordinary conversation with a mother and daughter named uh, Mary and Wendy. And it's extraordinary and it's, in, it's incredibly sad. It really, and for me, I found it very, very sad, the conversation I had, because mum, Mary, um, has had issues with uh, agoraphobia all her life. And I guess she must be at least in her late 70s, perhaps early 80s at this stage. But not only is she trapped with agoraphobia, so is her daughter. Um, and I... And they had, a, they had a, a traumatic life and there were all sorts of issues going on in their lives, uh, in the home. We didn't drill into that in the conversation because they, they weren't comfortable going into it. But it was apparent to me that there was a lot going on going back 30 or 40 years ago where they lived and the circumstances of their lives and, you know, the family dynamic. And it hugely impacted on Mary as mother and indeed on her daughter and probably impacted on her daughter, Wendy, when she was very, very young. And hence, you have a mother, and I'd never come across this before, both themselves trapped in their own lives for pretty much all of their lives um, with a fear of leaving the house. More on that after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. You don't, you don't often hear of two people, mother and daughter, both living with agoraphobia. I, I haven't heard of it either myself, but they say it can be a learned condition. It can be a hereditary. Yeah. So I don't know, to be honest with you. And my story would be a story from the past, whereas my daughter's is a present day story. And it was really for her. I was looking for help. Yeah, I know. I know. Have you managed to control it and get over it? No, I have fallen back. I was able to get by for what I needed to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I, in the last two or three years, I have 
I'm slowly going backward and I know I call it I'm going downhill Does and that, I know it myself yeah. and that's not a help I know that's, I know that's not a help to her so from your own situation anyway it be, it's making things more debil- debilitating for you is it there's less places that you can go to less places you feel safe be less places I could go to because where I am I'm only living in the suburbs where I am I'm not I don't go on the the bus we'll put it that way and all I have is the local shop which I go to and if I'm up to it I go for a little walk around the block of houses at, in the evening time and that's as much and as you do is it? Yes, yeah, yeah. except um, uh, one day, one afternoon uh, at the weekend, I have a friend who would collect me and we I'll go as far as Douglas Court with her. And are you able to cope there? I try my I try my level best. I, as I said, because I'm on a kind of a downward slope, some Saturdays is easier than others. So do you, I suppose sometimes you find yourself that you just have to go home. Oh, no, 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 thank God. No, that hasn't happened yet. I've come through that side of it and I'm able to um, to the best of my own ability I, I cope with myself I cope with, with the, the physical sensations really yeah. at the end of the day it's a hard thing to describe I know it's but difficult because even though you're living with it so many years and your daughter now as well but I suppose for somebody who's trying to get a um, trying to get a handle on how it affects somebody you know does it come as an attack well, all I can you see, if I were to tell you my story, it would be going back very many years. Whereas, as I said, if I could help, if I could, my daughter was talking to you, she could bring you up to date. Yeah. Which would probably be better at the moment because I would like to see her. She's not going out. At all? No? No. Oh, does she describe yes. the yes. sensations that she feels that make her uneasy? For instance, like when you get agoraphobia and you're in like that completely and... I was in a different situation. I had two daughters and I had to get by and I had to make a living um, to keep a roof over her heads and so on, whereas she hasn't anything to focus on, in yeah. my opinion, and yeah. therefore it escalates into OCD. And um, at the minute, um, we're looking for an optician that may come to the house because she's getting... Um, blind spots in her eye and she said they're, they're preventing her from going out even though she wants to go out a lot of the time she can't go out and the OCD no, she, OCD must be awful that burden on top of everything else oh, unbelievable unbelievable yeah. because it, 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 you see when you have nothing else it, it just takes over everything else then you become obsessed with that you become obsessed with so many different things but the phobia itself can do can do an, an awful lot to you because it can as I said it can be if there's a lot of stress in your own life if there's a lot of medical issues in your life it, 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 they're heightened by the whole thing and it's tough for you to watch isn't it it's hard for a mother well, to watch that well I find it very difficult even though there's times she doesn't believe me but I I know you see Personally speaking, I would know the physical feelings. Now they can be they can be different in everybody that has agoraphobia. Yeah. And thing is like that you know you're you're too close to the situation. So what I was really looking for at the end of the day is that would there be somebody out there 
that would have time to take her once a week, perhaps, yeah. just for a cup of coffee locally. But she would have to build a trust with that person that she would know that if she felt very uncomfortable or uneasy, she would they would bring her back immediately. Yeah, it's, that's a big ask from somebody who wouldn't know how to deal with a sufferer like that, though, in the event of something going wrong. What, what could potentially happen? There wouldn't be anything happen except that she could get a panic attack when she would be out. Yeah, yeah. Does you she feel, do, would you, do you end up feeling as if you're trapped in a place, is it? I think the word agoraphobia, to be quite honest with you, I don't know where they ever got it, but it's a fee, it's a fear of the open spaces and it's also a fear of the enclosed spaces. That's right, yeah, yeah, it's very complex yeah. and, it, and yeah. it's a fear of not being able to get out of a place in the event of yeah. something going wrong, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Were there yeah. other sufferers in the family before your daughter and indeed before you? No, no. Okay. And do you think no. that any time that your daughter um, became agoraphobic or started having issues with it because she observed it in you? Um, I would think so. It would have possibly been a learned behaviour, but I wouldn't have been aware of it. You see, that's where I would have to go into, into my situation and into what was going on in the house. No, that's the fine. I understand. I understand. You don't yeah. have to do that. You don't really. Yeah. You don't. But, yeah. I, but I know that you, you certainly saw a doctor for your issues, didn't you? Um, no. When I uh, first got a panic attack, I had no living idea. I was getting different things happening to me. And I go to the doctor and they just gave you old tablets at the time. Oh, so, so you were just ran. getting Valium anyway, but th- th- nobody it. actually drilled into that it was agoraphobia or indeed oh, possibly no, OCD. No, 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 not at that time. No, not then. I mean, I'm going back, you see, as I said, they're like two different stories in the one house. Yeah, yeah. Two completely different stories. But I mean, I don't know whether you've seen, whether either of you have gone to counselling or psychotherapy or hypnosis or CBD. Do you ever do CBT, you know, cognitive behavioural therapy, any of those things? You see, in my time, none of those things were available. But I did go for um, to a group a self-help group yeah. that was out at the time but they're all gone by the wayside now they're no, they no longer exist there's nothing for it but my daughter can bring you up to date with what's available to her now Hi Neil Hi, Hi. Wendy how are you how, I want, are you? how much yeah. of that conversation did you hear that I had with your mum um, I was sitting in the seat across from her so I all heard right. a lot of this okay. Um, okay. so um, her obviously her story would be a lot different to mine, Neil, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have this now going on 10 years. Yeah. This month. And do you know, I was just um, asking your mom there, did, do you, do you, do, have you ever sat down and thought, where did it manifest itself from? Was it, was it from things you observed your mum going through, I was wondering, you know? Yeah, it would have come. I did suffer from it in my teens, Neil, yeah. when I was about 15. Yeah. And after about three years, oh, when I was 18, it just, it was like it disappeared. And I had 20 odd years of a job and um, going on holidays abroad, driving, doing everything normal. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. when I hit my, um, like, a, let's say, 40 again, it mm-hmm. came back. 
you know. Now, I did go um, and just get evaluated again from a specialist who said to me, you know, 4% of people who recover, it can come back. And it did come back with me and it came back with a vengeance. Can you talk about that? In what way? Um, it just, it, 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 I felt myself that I woke up one morning and it was there. But I had been told afterwards that it was, it was like a dripping tap, whereas, you know, whereas sto- stone or dripping water, whereas stone, yeah. that it would have been all little stresses building up. And because I would have had um, anxiety, I would have been prone to anxiety, that it came out in the agoraphobia again. So that's where it would have come back. I would never, I actually forgot, Neil, nearly how, how it felt to have it after 20 odd years. Oh my God, that must have been devastating when it returned it was then. devastating, absolutely devastating, yeah, Neil. You know, I yeah. stopped driving, I'd give up my job, my friends, everything. And, you know, it's going on 10 years now and I'm saying to myself, Jesus, you know, I have to, something, you know, I've, I've lost nearly most of my 40s. Have you been literally pretty much indoors for all of your 40s then? Yeah, yeah. In, within a two-mile radius. Um, there was a time I could go to the hairdresser, the local hairdresser. Um, I could maybe do a little bit more, um, go to um, Tesco Shopping Centre, Mark and Spencer's. But again, I found myself going back. Okay, okay. And let's, let's um, just chat about situations like that. What are you, mm. what are you afraid may well happen? Um, it's my symptoms, Neil. I, I have a lot of health anxiety as well. Very bad health anxiety. And again, it, it, it all relates to anxiety. It's like a circle. So is your, is your health anxiety that you have a fear that you have all of these different illnesses? All these different ailments. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel if I go out, I get weak. Um, I can't breathe. I get sweaty. From my head to my toes, I get symptoms and I just freeze. Does that lead to uh, panic attacks then? Yeah, that leads then to an anxiety attack. I've never actually, which I always think I'm going to get up and scream and go out and run, you know, but I've actually never done that. What have you, you done? Know, you, well, what do you do? Um, I just come out of a place. I just say, I, I have to go home. Okay. And I'll say to the person, you know, I have to, I have to go home. I don't feel well. And did that all then lead on to, um, say, uh, obsessional thoughts? Um, obsession would, uh, my, my obsessions knew would be more health anxiety. Okay, okay. My health. It wouldn't really be like, you know, touching something, you know, or... It Checking be things, rechecking things, counting no, things, no, rechecking. No. Yeah, yeah. No, no. no, it wouldn't be that. It would be more health anxiety and obsession about my health. Therefore, you know, I ring my doctor. Oh my God, I have a bit of a headache. Would that, could that be a brain tumor? Oh it's, dear! It's twenty. It's twenty four seven. Oh dear! You know, you've no. As as someone once, you know, said to me about having agoraphobia, it's it's basically like you ask someone what they've a phobia of, and they might say I have a fear of spiders. Yeah. And you know, you can avoid a spider. Let's put yeah. it that way. And but it's like being locked in a room full of spiders twenty four seven. That you can't get out of because you you go to bed with it, you wake up with it, um, and then obviously, as you said, from being in, your mind plays tricks on you. Like you know, and how? Did, um, but how did you spend all of your forties? Um, indoors. Doing basically. what? Doing what? Um, 
I just, um, I, 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 I kept myself in, involved in clothes, involved in, um, you know, fashion magazines. You know, I kept myself up to date on that, on the internet. But basically, just being in. I was no. lucky. I had I had this. I don't know built in thing that I don't mind my own company. So by and large, for ten years, you witnessed all four seasons of every year, yeah. looking yeah. out looking out a window at it. Yeah. Never going away for a weekend. Never going out to dinner. No. Never going for a no. few pints. Never going on holidays. No. no, no, and I used to love all that. I mean, I watched my friends go from single to married to having two, one, two, three babies. And what have and all your friends time. made of the situation you found yourself um, in for so long? I actually, I actually didn't tell them, Neil. I was ashamed. And that's a big thing in Ireland, I think, as well. It's the stigma that goes with it. Because I can hardly understand it, not mind, say, telling somebody. You know? Yeah. If I say to somebody, I'm afraid to go to the village to have my cup of coffee. Or I'm afraid to take my dog for a walk up, up park or you know they're saying like what the hell what's what's wrong with it there's nothing physically you know there's nothing physically stopping me yeah but i think friends would be compassionate though wouldn't they um sometimes sometimes you know um but i just didn't tell them you know i think one or two of my friends to this day thought i just snubbed them i know and that isn't you know, the case, of course. That isn't the case. So, what, the so, case so you gave up your career and everything. And I gave up. Yeah, you're yeah. probably around about your late thirties. Yeah, well, I'm I'm forty five now. Well, what did you do? Five, what did yeah. you do? Until, what was your career path? Um, I was a personal assistant. And did you enjoy yeah, it? Sure. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. You know, I was after you know, kind of working up the ladder, and I had my the job I loved, and you know. As I said, going on holidays, went to France every year, uh, which I love. Um, you know, went for dinner. You Did couldn't contemplate going to France. I mean, talk, think about that. No. Imagine being in another country, <laughs> never mind outside yeah. the village. Yeah, you know, and, and that's that's the thing, you know, that that drives me mad when I go to bed at night. I'm thinking of all this, and then I'm looking up people on Instagram and my friends on Facebook, and they're they're doing this and they're doing that, and it it is just so depressing. You know, it is so depressing. It must really get you down. And do you sleep? Um, I do, I do, but the doctor has me on um, um, anti-anxiety tablets. So have you been have I, you been on medication for a long time then? Um, I would say a long time, yeah. I would say nearly, I suppose, 15 years. I would, I would be honest. Yeah. 11, 12 years, you know. Isn't it? Isn't and it I mean, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. I've... I've tried every. I've tried um, different counselors, CBT, psychotherapists, EMDR, is it or EM, that eye movement. Yes, um, you really I've have tried, tried it all. Hypnosis. I've tried it all. I can actually, you know, when I'm sitting or um, it's Zoom, Zoom calls I do with with, with the counselor. You know, I can nearly say I I know what they're going to ask me because I've read up on it. I've you know. What about what about what about self help groups of similar sufferers? Have you ever sat in a room with others and talked it through? Um, I've done I've done that. It came with a package, um, a home care package with St Patrick's in Dublin, and they started this Neil um, uh, when COVID came in. 
So it was a self-care package that you did um, via Zoom. I know, it's your Zoom, Zoom, Zoom only goes so far. Have you ever sat down, had a cup of coffee with somebody else who has similarities to you? No, no. Yeah. Only my mother. Yeah. Only my mother, you know. Which I know for a fact, if I if I showed signs of, of panic, my mother mightn't be able to, you know, I, I'd be afraid that she'd panic then. You know, we're too close. So can that panic then lead to uh, pains in your chest, shortness of breath, inability to Absolutely, to everything. Um, dizziness, I could, you know, I, sometimes I feel a need to put my head between my knees because I feel I'm just going weak going off and your legs you just feel like your legs are not going to get you home they just they're just trembling they go into jelly everything you know absolutely everything anxiety can you know you actually feel you're going to die you, you think hey, this is it I'm, I'm, I'm just going to die and is that are those are those, are those attacks getting worse now more frequent um, they're when I go out yeah so you avoid you know, going out, of course. I mean, that's the so common sense thing for you to do is I won't put myself in situations where this is going to come upon me. Yeah, the fear of going out is so strong that I don't go out. And ha- I know you've tried a lot of things, but I did mention hypnosis. Did you ever try that? I haven't, no. Yeah. I'm actually afraid of hypnosis. I'm just, <laughs> I haven't tried that, yeah, you know? Yeah. And but you'd like, know. To be, you'd like to be rid of it, wouldn't you? You'd like to get your oh, own life back. Absolutely. I mean, I just, you know, I feel the age I'm at, you know, I feel time is ticking. Um, I'm getting to a point now where I need to do something. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and that's the reason I'm chatting with you. And that's the reason we're talking about it on air. And hopefully somebody could be listening that may be able to put the key in the lock for you or at least help you on that journey. I don't know who that would be, but... That, that I, I think I think my my missing link down through the years, um, Neil, has been a lack of support. I've had the counsellors, I've had the the group sessions with. I've had a psychiatrist just to you know say, yeah, you've got an anxiety stroke, panic disorder, um, and they put you on more tablets. But it's someone that can you know maybe you know, that you can learn to trust with a background in it. Yes, or someone who's been through it, and I was saying to your mother, managed to control it and lives with it. Yeah, exactly. You know, and that that eventually I could go for a cup of coffee with, just, you know, five, ten minutes down the road. And, you know, it has to start like that. You grade yourself, you know. I would love if that were able to happen for you. I really would. And and I I think it would be a terrific thing if somebody listening to this reached out and said, hang on a second, I've been there. I've done, yeah. I've seen all of that. Here's what yeah. I did. Would you be interested in meeting? I think it would be fantastic. Yeah. It's it, For me, just chatting with you and with your mom, it's very sad that two generations of you have had such similarities with regards to your life being like put on hold. My I look back at my mom's life and now the age she's at, you know, still not being able to get on a bus, you know, not, not being be able to get on a plane. And I said, say to myself, you know, I don't want to be that way when I'm, I I'm, I'm not done with going abroad. I'm not done with, you know. But I think she's an amazing woman, though. She made the call pretty much yeah. on your behalf, not for her, she but did. for her daughter. Yeah. That's, that's a real act of love. She did. She did, in fairness. And she's done everything she can um, for me, you know, because my doctor, unfortunately, wouldn't be much of a support. All right. Okay. Which which isn't great either. I don't think a lot of doctors are much. Have you found in the past that people have said things like, 
get over it. It's all in your imagination. Cop yourself oh, on. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Get over it. You know, it's, it's just, you know, you're just looking for attention or, you know, it's just like that. You know, get up and get over it. What, what's, I mean, my own doctor said to me one time, what's the worst that can happen? You get a panic attack. Yeah, that's that's not very supportive, though, is it? No, um, no If that no. happens to you every time you go out, you know? Yeah, yeah, you know. So, I mean, it's just, so there's no support there, you know, and he's very, he can be very, he's very slow to, you know, put me onto a good counsellor, good psychotherapist. I've found all those myself down through the years. Why didn't they yeah, work? Why didn't they work? Why didn't anything work? I don't know. I don't know. I I honestly don't know. It never worked. I think because I know so much about the condition at this stage. That everything they have said to me, everything. No, I, you're, I, I mean, you don't want diagnosis anymore. You want help to overcome no. it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and I know a lot of it is, is coming from my childhood as well. Yeah. Um, you know, I know that too. Um. But at the moment, I, I want to kind of say, look, okay, I'm, I'm here. I just want to get out and I'll deal with that once I'm out. And I'm not going into that area of your life, nor with your mother's at your mother's request. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to yeah. honour that. And if people are wondering why, it's because it's an area that you just don't wish to go into. And I understand that. But yeah. if there was... If there well, was, I know, I know it, it would have come from being stressed when I, when I was yeah, very young. Yeah, there would have been trauma there, absolutely. Yeah, and, yeah. And it, so it's complex, you know. I know. Which is what what um, I was told from St. Patrick's. It's a complex type case. All right. And um, that was it. Listen, all, all is not lost, you know. Um, you know, we, yeah. have, we have access to a lot of people listening to this radio program and you'd never know. Absolutely. I would love to, I would love as well to chat with others who have been through the issues of yeah. uh, agoraphobia, yeah. how they dealt with it, how they're dealing with it. Um, and their strength in numbers, you know. Yeah, this, especially for this long and to be in like, com- nearly completely, you know, um, which is a, a chronic, chronic form of it. And just uh, just um, before I let you go, with the beautiful weather that we had, although it got too damn hot a few days, yeah, uh, uh, how, how did that make you feel, not being able to enjoy um, that? No, no, I just, I stayed in. The heat was just making me anxious, it was just making me feel you know, too hot, too sweaty, and it was it was bringing kind of anxiety feelings. So I just stayed in. I know. Which is what and I do. just so wanted to be at the beach. I so wanted to be, you know, out there and, you know, and uh, I just, I couldn't. Okay. Listen, here's hoping that something good comes from this conversation yeah, on your behalf and on your mother's as yeah. well, Okay. Let's see. Not at all. Let's let's see. Yeah. No, listen. Thank you for taking the call. You're very honest and open. You know, sharing this aspect of your life, your whole life, it's a very brave thing yeah. to do. Well done for doing that. But um, yeah, let's let's see what comes out of it. You know. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, fingers crossed. Okay. I'll stay in touch with you and your mom. Okay. Great. Thanks a million. All right, Wendy. Cheers. Million. Okay. Take care. All the best for Bye-bye. now. Take care. Take care. Anybody in a situation where they may be able to help in any way, shape, or form, perhaps you've been through it, perhaps you know somebody who has had oh, maybe agoraphobia or OCD or obsessive compulsions like that, fear of going out, fear of leaving the house, the panic attacks that come with it, all of the above. Wouldn't it be great to help? 
and there may be somebody listening who may be able to just do that and by sharing their own story perhaps might be able to hook up with mother and daughter Mary and Wendy get in touch text 0868104106 email neil at redfm.ie pick up the phone on 0818104106 uh, and we're here and we're listening this is the Neil Prenderville show Text and WhatsApp 086-8104-106. Gorks Red FM. It's very sad. Uh, hopefully all is not lost and having a chat on air could make all the difference for mother Mary and daughter Wendy. Uh, and again, just reiterating, it would be good if they were in a position to talk with others who've been on a similar journey and perhaps could help or give advice or guidance or a path out of agoraphobia. And I know uh, that Wendy mentioned um, the EMDR therapy, which involves eye movement and CBT and counselling and prescription medication and Zoom groups and what have you. But I did, and I don't know as to whether ever she looked at cannabis or cannabis medication or things like that. But certainly uh, the area of hypnosis one, one, is one that I find very interesting because in the past we've had a huge success with different issues with hypnosis. Uh, she said she was afraid of hypnosis. But I want to come back after 11 to see if that's one avenue but it would be good to talk with others perhaps who've been through this journey and come out the other side and are coping uh, text 0868104106 on that so just very quickly Teresa yes please now you heard my conversation with mum and daughter what did you think I did and I thought it was very very interesting yeah and you see it's after happening to me in the last couple of months I can go out into an open space only in and the last few months, is it? Only in the last few months. Right. You see, I suppose maybe I haven't been going out a lot in the pandemic, but it's only in the last few months. I'm very nervous. I can't go out into an open space. I'm terrified. And do you in think it was I because thought? of lockdowns and things? Well, I think maybe it might have contributed to it. Now, I do have a numbness in my legs as well. Yeah. So that's only something new as well. And what are you and terrified of? terrified of the open space it's I can go around my own house I can go around anyone else's house because it's a closed space but when I go out even if to cross the road I could stand in the middle of the road and I just I'm just terrified do you freeze yes yes I do yeah now if I'm holding something I can walk away if I'm holding something, I'm okay. I can go into a big shopping centre. I've just given up. Go into them. I avoid them if I can at all because of the fear. And I feel, well, is it coming from my mind or is it coming from my legs when they freeze? I don't know. Now, I have been to the doctor and he is sending me someplace. He is looking after me, mm. but I haven't got any answers yet. Mm. Does your, do you have trouble breathing? Do you feel chest pains or do you feel dizzy? You feel you're going to collapse? Or no, no, none of, none of all those things. I have none of them. It's just a terrified of the open space in case, I don't know, it's a case of falling. Now, I have lost my balance a few times. Yeah. And maybe it's because of that. You know, but that's a very interesting conversation that you had. Did your, do- did, you, did your doctor say anything about agoraphobia? No, he didn't yeah. say anything about that. Now, he's investigated. I'm a great doctor. I'm just and wondering, yeah, yeah, just, just wondering. He's investigated. But I know you spoke about um, hypnosis. Yeah. 
and there'd be no fear to have that lady have hypnosis because I have hypnosis in the past for asthma. Go away. Was it effective? Well, at the time, I suppose my asthma did improve. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I wouldn't have a fear of that. You know? Well, it's a decision they, that they'll have to make. I don't want to push them on that, yes. but I think, you know, oh, yes, I think, I think it's certainly thing. worth looking at, you know, certainly. It is, I think so. I think so too. I'll have more on that after 11 o'clock. I wonder are there many people after two years of hell for a lot of people, particularly the elderly who literally were real prisoners. Well, I am, at home. El- yeah. I am elderly. Is, is, your, I is your fear of going out just because you're not used to it, the, the, the freedom maybe of the outdoors? That, maybe that's what it is. Yeah. Maybe that's what happened. You know, I go, my, if my friend is with me, I link her. But to go on my own, I I try to avoid that space now. That's sad. Could be it, it is terrible. Yeah. Because I was always very active and doing yeah. my own thing back in 73. Yeah. And I was always active of going out and doing my own thing. No problem. You enjoyed the outdoors, yeah. I would, yeah, like I like going places or going things, but now I try to avoid them or I make excuses not to go to those places. You know? You'd like to combat that, though, and get over it, wouldn't you? Oh, God, yes. I like going to football matches with my grandchildren. Now I try to avoid it, and I would love it, like, but I can't. I can't do it. You don't know whether it's physical or whether it's linked physical and mentally, you don't know, but it's an irrational fear, isn't it? It is a fear. Yeah. It is a fear, like, and I mean, it isn't a way that I'm, you know, anyway, cracking up or anything, but I do have that fear of it. And it's hard to believe, like, I was only wondering, did somebody else have that fear? And sure, they said it now, but, you know... I have it only with a couple of months. All right. Okay. Um, just one or two quick questions before I go to news. Like, how do you, how do you cope then, like with shopping or getting out or appointments or places that you need to be? Well, well, now my friend is good to me and she come with me. But if I'm near a trolley, I'm fine. Yeah. I'd hold the trolley and go in. You have a fear of falling. I have a fear of falling. Yeah. Yeah. Now I can drive. There's no problem. I can sit into my car and I can drive. But you I'm never, but you never fall. But you have a fear of it. Well, I did fall, you see, a few times, and it just has come more that I'm afraid of falling. You know, like if I was to cross the road now, I'd be nervous. Yeah, I know, I know. You stay away from those things, then. I know, I know. Listen, I'm going to pick up on the conversation after eleven, okay. so make sure you're listening, Teresa. All right. Okay. Okay, Neil. Take care Thank for now. Cheers. Thanks. Bye-bye. Look after yourself. I'll be back to you. Take care for now. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national, and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. 104 to 106. Red FM. This is the Neil Frienderville Show. Right. Uh, just a little bit of housekeeping. Thank you very much. Right across this week, we have 250 euro vouchers to give away for JJ Walsh's, a new heritage bar opening uh, Thursday, I think, on Oliver Plunkett Street. Yeah, Thursday. I was talking to Monty about it on the air yesterday morning. And uh, there's food and there's drink. And uh, there's a beautiful, beautiful showcase of all sorts of gorgeous, ornate cork photography and documents and weaponry and historical pieces from way back in the day. Going back to the 1800s and right up to uh, the formation of the state and 
uh, through the 40s and 50s and what have you and things like that. So this beautiful pub, well worth checking out. So 250 euro voucher for JJ Walsh's to spend on whatever you please. Live music, food source from the English market, three bars and a cocktail bar and an outdoor bar as well up on Oliver Blanca Street. So how do you win? Well, 60 seconds is what we're giving people uh, to come on air and tell us about your favourite place in Cork and why. 60 seconds and your favourite place in Cork and why you love it. Uh, whoever tells the best story in 60 seconds wins the €250 Euro voucher. Simple as that. So think about that. Uh, we'll be opening the phone lines uh, around about uh, 20 minutes to midday. But get thinking about it now. Uh, also, don't forget all this week as well and indeed next week, more fabulous prizes to give away for all sorts of wonderful Cork tourist attractions for you and the family and we've really given away hundreds at this stage and we'll continue to do so uh, across the coming weeks. As long as there's summer, yeah, we'll keep on giving them the passes away. We'll give them away till they're all gone. Now, can I just, um, we can actually take calls now if you want to set up the calls. So if you've got a, an idea as to 60 seconds on where you love in Cork and why, you can get calling now or you can get texting on it. Text 0868104106. Call 0818104106. You might win the 250 euro voucher and then we'll call you back and put you on the air around about a quarter to midday. Can I go back to my conversations with Mary and with Wendy um, and uh, the situation they found themselves in for many years? No need to go back. I hope you were listening to my chat with both of them. They find themselves in a very, very worrying situation. They're literally trapped and their lives are on hold now. Mother Mary's life's been on hold and has been seriously inhibited for a long, long time. And Wendy now, much younger actually as a daughter, obviously, is having her own issues, has also developed OCD. One of the reasons behind the OCD is that if you're agoraphobic and you can't go out and won't go out and, you know, she's pretty much written off the last 10 years of her life, then you do become obsessive of things in the home, you know? A lot of us do with having an awful lot more time on your hands, I suppose. But I tell you one thing. During the conversation with her, we went through the different things that she has done. She's an EMDR treatment, which is the eye movement therapy. She's on CBT. She's on counselling. She's on prescription medication. She's also done Zoom groups, which aren't bad, but probably not the best thing. I couldn't find anywhere any health groups in Ireland. And I googled and googled and googled where people can meet other people who've been through similar situations with fear of going out or fear of being in enclosed or um, outdoor spaces, because it can be both. Um, but I would love to hear from people who've been through it and come out the other side. But I did talk to her about hypnosis. She said she, was, she had a fear of hypnosis. That's probably a fear of the unknown. But I can tell you that over the years, we've had incredible success for people suffering from all sorts of different phobias and conditions. Incredible success with Brian Evans. Uh, Brian Evans, hypnotherapy. Um, and I'll tell you where you can find him and more ways of getting in touch with him in a few minutes' time. But we did put a call into him this morning and he joins me by phone. Brian, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Thank you so much for always being there and always available, firstly. Did, did Seamus give you an idea? Because I don't believe you managed to hear the conversation, but the conversations I had this morning... Yeah, that's, uh, I went right through it with him about uh, both Mary and Wendy and the OCD, the obsessive medical issues, the fear, the anxiety, the panic attacks and an awful lot of people are suffering with these issues at the moment. Um, COVID and the lockdown has a major uh, slant on this and that's what's caused a lot of these problems. People with fears of getting back to driving, uh, but agoraphobia is one of the many issues that is caused. That's incredible so, that you say that after lockdown and routines being changed and you know, people being indoors and not doing things that they were used to doing, they've developed a fear of going back to it again. 
That's correct. So fear of driving, fear of going back to work, fear of socialising, yeah. fear of getting on a bus, what, what, all that kind of thing? Exactly. Uh, a lot of teenagers are suffering with this as well because they've missed all their friends. Uh, they don't know how to socialise. The nearest way to socialise is on the internet and things like that. People need more one-to-one contact, and that's what's missing. You know, uh, Teresa, a lady... Um, I did catch a, a little bit of a lady called Teresa. Yes, before and, 11. Yeah, and she said holding something, and that is something a lot of people with agoraphobia uh, help with, and it's like a comfort from home, whether it's uh, even a bottle of water and things like that. If they're suffering with breathing issues, they can relate, relate and get to a drop of water to help them breathing again. There's, there's lots of very small, I wouldn't call them tricks, but um, ways of helping them to get out the front door. Get, I, um, uh, I believe that uh, with um, agoraphobia, if you can get to the front gate for a start, 50 yards the next day, walking with someone, um, it, it's baby steps, and that's what people need to do. Yeah. And it's amazing, actually, that you say that more people are finding themselves in difficult, challenging situations because of what we've all been through. It's impacted on some more than others in the past couple of years. And you're also coming at this from a psychotherapy background because that was your background originally, wasn't it, as a psychotherapist? That's correct, yes. But that's a long time ago. Yeah. I, I, I don't know what it is about you, but you have incredible success with everything that we ask you to do. How do you approach an agoraphobic? Um, well... Basically, I've got to get their trust, first of all. Um, once I've got the rapport with that particular person, and it only takes 45 minutes, something like that. And as I said to you, your guy there, um, once, once we've got that trust and built up that trust, just one or two sessions with the individual and they can relate to how hypnosis can help them. So I'm dealing with their subconscious mind. The subconscious mind is what everything that they have learned in life. And if it's a fear, they can unlearn that fear. It's quite simple, really. But a lot more people have got to get over this scepticism. Nobody was more sceptical about hypnosis than I was. Mm -hmm. It's compounded, though, by uh, fear of... Other things, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder now is with her, uh, obsessional behavior, fear of medication, fear of losing her eyesight, uh, fear of perimenopause, fear, fear everywhere. Well, that's what basically anxiety is, panic attacks. It, it's the unknown. And once you've got over that fear, your life opens and, and it is just amazing how once you've got over that fear, uh, your experience lots of new things again getting out meeting people that's what that uh, mother and daughter need to do they would give anything for it and it's 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 such a beautiful thing that mary mother mary you know she's she's happy to sacrifice her future if her daughter can be helped you know well uh i believe um i live near the city so i don't mind uh visiting them uh at home so you would do a house call or a couple, number of house calls if that was possible? Yes, I would. Oh, my God, that's incredible. But how do you get over the fear of she has for hypnosis? How do you 
you know... They, they... Well, that's what I was saying about is to trust the report, getting to know me for a start. You know, she's obviously had some sort of trauma in her life in the past. Yeah, it was very and hard. She, she mentioned the MDR. That's one of the tools that I have used in the past with trauma. But once you've had one session, you will see how how relaxing it is, how easy it is to get over that fear. But uh, as I say, uh, I'm prepared to visit the lady and uh, see how we go. Have you had success with the agoraphobia? Very, very much so. Oh, yes. man, that's incredible. This could be just a wonderful, wonderful thing. And, and the fear that people have of hypnosis, what, what would her... She's not here to, to answer the question, but what would it be? Is, is it a fear... People are afraid of going under. Is it into a trance-like state, is it? Well, that is, that's the old-fashioned word for it, Neil, trance. I must admit, I don't use that word at all. It's, it's relaxation. It's the deepest form of uh, mind relaxation. It's, it's ten times better than, than a massage. Um, you are not, and I'll repeat, you are not out of control. You can hear everything that's going off around you. It's almost like that, that lovely state when you're just drifting off to sleep. But you are not, I repeat, not out of control. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's nothing like the old-fashioned uh, idea or image of hypnosis where you're under and you can be manipulated or no, you're given no. away you're given away trade secrets and no no one would do anything morally or immorally that they do not No, I know that, but isn't that that was the fear people had, wasn't it, Brian? That's exactly it. I, you know, you know Keith Barry, yeah. I don't do anything like that on stage. It, it's very medical and clinical. Ah, yeah, but I mean, in fairness to Keith Barry, people go and they pay for that. That's entertainment. I mean, he is incredibly powerful in what he can do. He's a wonderful talent, don't get me wrong. But people know what to expect, their forms of manipulation, what have you. But it... And it's, but but this is this is this is real. This is a real fear that I. You know what? I would love to be in a position, you know, in a, in a whatever, a few weeks or a few months' time, where Mary and Wendy were coming back and they had regained some element of freedom. That would be. I'd love to achieve that. Well, let me give him the opportunity. Okay. I'm happy to say that we've been in touch. Seamus has been in touch with both Wendy and Mary, and they are so grateful and so delighted to hear about your intervention. And they would be delighted for you to visit them at home and to help them, as they said themselves. They're trapped and they're looking for your help. I'll do that with pleasure. Thank you so much, Brian. Appreciate it as always. Good to talk to you. Take you care. too. He's just an incredible guy. He's, like, he's always there and... He always gets a result. It's just astonishing. Brian Evans, Hypnotherapy. Further details about what Brian does, www.quitwithbrian.com. Back after the break. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818-104-106. Red FM. Kay Barrett is in jail. I spoke to her sister Claire earlier this morning. Uh, A lot of texts on this. What a lovely speaker Claire Barrett is on behalf of her sister. She should be head of mental health. She would get things done. Neil, this is why they changed her diagnosis from bipolar to an unstable personality disorder. Best advice I can give is to seek a private psychiatrist, get proper diagnosis. The HSE is renowned for diagnosing everyone with borderline personality disorders. It's their way of co- of copping out and not being obliged to help them. Um, it, another one, it's shocking that that woman is in prison. 
with what she needs. Uh, yet loads of criminals with multiple convictions are free walking the street. Many of these are violent offenders who got a tap on the wrist. Yet we lock up mentally unwell women. A woman who hasn't committed any serious crime. Morning, just listening to that lady regarding her sister in Limerick Jail. This is unconstitutional. People with mental health issues should not be in a prison environment. I have personal experience with a family member with multidisciplinary issues compounded with an intellectual disability. And we found ourselves before the courts a number of years back. I pursued the matter and involved the services of a top clinical psychologist, which included their presence at the court sitting. There's clearly no services for people in this area and the judicial system is not the place for them. Just listen to your programme about Kay in jail. Have they thought about St. Patrick's Mental Hospital in Dublin? They're very good. Yes, and that's the reason, they're the reasons why she was sent to Limerick Prison. No places within our health system. That's my understanding of it anyway. I'm absolutely shocked, but I don't have all of the details just as much in the sense that I wasn't at the court hearings. This is an absolute scandal. This is as bad as tomb babies and Magdalene laundries. As you said, the state has failed this woman and others like them. Minister McEntee is a great, is great to talk. Now is the time for the minister to act. Morning, my son is a paramedic in England working for the ambulance service. They have the same problem in the UK, plagued by 999 calls from the mentally ill. So many crews are tied up with people who need specialised care. The waiting times for ambulances are too long and people are being put at risk. He gets frustrated with people wasting his time, but he sympathises with them. Absolutely, says Malcolm in Clonakilty. Yeah, but if somebody is mentally unstable, psychiatrically unwell, bipolar or schizophrenic, and they're constantly calling 999, the consequence of their actions should not be jail. This is shocking, like something from the 19th century. It's an absolute disgrace, says Ray. So keep those coming. Text 0868104106. It's important to revisit stories. And yesterday morning, we heard the story of Alan and his family who were in their camper van and had an horrific accident in the camper van. Wet weather made the surface very slippery. The height of the camper van, it flipped and it flipped and it rolled several times. Himself and the family, Lucy and the kids, Tiernan and Archie, um, absolutely got away with their lives and if you see the photographs and we shared them on Twitter yesterday you'll see exactly what I mean the two boys were in the back thankfully they were strapped in they all got out through a skylight uh, with smoke everywhere everything was totaled everything they own in, in it was destroyed and whatever and they just wanted to come home and they were trying to get a ferry out of Roscoff but couldn't because they're all absolutely chock-a-block and booked up. We were doing a lot of work on this when we got off the air yesterday and I just want to re- do a reconnect again. have another chat with Alan who joins me by phone. Alan, good morning. How'd last night go for you? Did you get a good night's sleep? No, he's not there. Alan, are you there? I don't know where it is sometimes. They're there and then they're not there. Uh, Alan, no good. Back after the break. We'll reconnect. The Neil Brenderville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday, 0818-104-106. Okay, there's issues with Alan, unfortunately, just as I was about to go. Apparently, they're trying to get on a train, I think, because they're moving closer to the coast. And uh, at the moment, the bits and pieces that they have for them and their bits and pieces are trying to board a train. So as soon as I can get back to them, I will. I promise you that. Don't forget those 250 euro vouchers for JJ Walsh's 60 seconds on air. You need to tell us about your favourite place in Cork and why. So you can text on that now. Text 0868 
pick up the phone if you're on a call. If we like your story, you could get on air 60 seconds to share it. 0818104106. Best story then wins a 250 euro voucher this side of uh, midday today. We've got those to give away right across the week. The Cork on a Fork Festival starts tomorrow. Starts tomorrow night uh, on the Prince on Princess Street for the Taste of Princess Street, and then it rolls out the entire week right across the week and into the weekend. And that's going to be great. So look forward to all of that. You know, we were chatting with different people who have taken on wonderful, wonderful undertakings to raise money for charity. Uh, and we have a Cork man who's running 32 marathons in 32 days. We've been watching his progress. Also, uh, Bunny O'Reardon, you might recall a conversation I had with him on air back in the day. He set off and his endurance was to spend one day in each of the 32 counties of Ireland every county um, and to do it uh, and raise funds in return um, I think the, the target was 100,000 euro um, to there's a, an existing warehouse building down Middleton Way that they want to adapt right and fit out as a centre for those who need support no matter what their circumstances is with regards to uh, depression or issues in their lives that they want help with. The whole idea is to you know, increase awareness of suicide bereavement support and suicide prevention. Having gone through that himself, that tragedy where his own son took his own life, uh, uh, now the idea is uh, that uh, Bunny would ride the 32 counties of Ireland on Kian's motorbike. And we had a beautiful conversation. And I wanted to know how he's been getting on, quite literally, as he goes from county to county on the bike. And he joins me by phone. Bunny, good morning. Hi, Ian. Neil, how are you doing? All right, my man. And on the 1st of <laughs> August, you went from Bantry to Killarney to Limerick to Nina to Lehinch to Galway to Castle Bar <laughs> to Longford, Carrick and Shannon, Sligo, Enniskillen, Dunglow, Derry, Oma. So today, you should be, according to my calculations, in Belfast. We're heading for Belfast, Neil. We're still in Oma and we're just getting organised as we do every day before we head off. Yeah, this is the so, leg of the trip to Belfast today. How's it going? Exactly. I tell you something, it's the most amazing journey that we've ever had. It's the most amazing journey I've certainly had anyway, you know. Um, we're meeting wonderful people every place we go. Um, the amount of people that come to us. Uh, as we set up, we set up a gazebo. Mike goes ahead every time. Sorry, lost your bit there, Bonnie. You just talking about the gazebo, what? It goes ahead every day, label set up in every every port of um, call that we're going to. And as we get in, people are kind of curious and we get uh, an opportunity to meet with people, you know. So it's been fantastic. And do they share personal stories with you? The amount of people that have come to us with um, similar tra- uh, tragic stories is just unbelievable how people actually open up. And I suppose another common thread that we've established is a lot of people didn't have a great deal of support when they were going through that themselves. And, you know, I suppose that's uh, close to Ron Harton and Cork, you know? Yeah. So the stories that they didn't, that, you know, that they're telling you about not getting help is dealing with the grief of a loved one who takes their own life, is it? Correct. Oh, Correct. yeah. Dealing with the loss of the loved one. And coming to terms with it, and I suppose, you know, for a lot of people, as, as time goes on, it, it may soften, but for a lot of people, the tragedy continues every day, you know, um, and, and it really does continue every day for a lot of people. You must have to set aside a lot of time and patience and, uh, and compassion for people who want to chat or, you know, just tell you we their do. story. We spend, yeah, we spend hours talking with people and, and, and really getting on with people, having coffee with people. And then on top of that, we 
tend to engage with family resource centres and, and other centres that we've encountered along the way as well. You know, mm. we've met some amazing groups that have actually set up to um, embark, I suppose, on tackling that same issue throughout the country, you know. Mm. And mm. I didn't know that there were so many groups actually in each locality that are actually trying to tackle that same issue in, in, in their own region. You yeah. Know? Have you, so you found similarities that we have here in Cork or indeed in your own local parishes the length, the breadth of Ireland you've travelled so far. Absolutely. And, and and the stories are much the same really everywhere we go. You know, and um, and there's a tremendous sadness, I suppose, and, and tragedy around that. But at the same time, people are also finding the will to muster the, the strength and the courage to get up and move forward and, um, and put in these systems in their own places, you know. And that, that's wonderful. And the stories that they share, uh, does it affect all different age groups? The loss of their loved one could be of any age, is it? Or are we talking about younger people in more rural, isolated areas or what? Yeah, we've had, we've had, I suppose, everything really, really you know, from young people, male, um, yeah, female, right through to elderly people, know. you know, and, yeah. and everything in between, really, you know. So people are still left in shock as a result, you know, regardless. So it, it is tragic, no mm. matter where you go. How's the how's the ride going for you on the bike? Are you enjoying it, seeing our beautiful country, particularly in the weather it's, you've been uh, having recently? <laughs> we've we've had amazing time weather-wise. You know, there's some some lovely aspects to the whole thing, and um, the bike I have to say is running lovely. Uh, yeah, I heard it got a puncture. Ha ha! You were going to tell me that <laughs> <laughs> was it a nail? Was it a bit of glass or bad driving? Um, no, it, it's it's actually a crease on the tube inside we found out and there was nothing we could have done to prevent it, unfortunately, and it just manifested because from the time we actually restored the bike, the bike was sitting idle for the guts of four years, you know, so we've never really had any serious um, road tests on it. So the few teething issues along the way were kind of to be expected. Yeah, other than and, that, though, uh, sweet as a knot, yeah? She's, yeah, we've actually 1,250 miles done so far on it. And not a wet, and not a wet uh, well, I was going to say not a wet day. Well, not a wet day up until recently, <laughs> but has the weather been kind? Beautiful, you know, a uh, lovely bit of sunburn along the way and a small <laughs> bit of tanning as well. What do you and, do then uh, for Kip and what do you do for Kip and what do you do for Grub? We left on a wing and a prayer, and that's the truth of it, in relation to people and where we were going to be staying and how we were going to be accommodating and people have just been so wonderful to us all the way through, without exception, every single time. There's a lot of time we didn't even know a day or two in advance where we were staying. And we just kept, I suppose, hoping and praying and, and all of that. And it all came, and, um, it came to fruition and we got accommodation more or less everywhere. And did they feed you as well? We've, um, in some places we've been fed and in other places we just go out. <laughs> and, um, you know, we're increasing in size as the journey has gone along and, and um, <laughs> you know that's too many breakfast rolls and baps <laughs> no we stayed away from the breakfast rolls I have to say that we've managed to avoid them but um, oh, you know it's, it's, it's wonderful like we, we arrived in Tuoma yesterday Neil and what we didn't know prior to coming was yesterday was the actual anniversary of the bombing of Oma and, and it was the most sombre experience as we arrived in and, and just people are so wonderful you know but you know, something tells me that the universe set that up, that to make that happen on that day for you to be there for an anniversary of the loss of loved ones' lives. Absolutely. We, we've had this experience so many times as we've come around. We've had it in different towns, different villages, with different people. And the amount of 
people that actually present themselves to us. And then when we learn about the stories and we see the irony and we see the synchronicity and we see all of this that unfolds, it's just amazing, you know. Maybe later on when we get back, I'll tell you, we can tell you more. We can spend Absolutely. a little bit more time Let's about do that. that stuff. Let's but do that. Let's do that. Yeah. Yeah, I was talking with Conor O'Keefe yesterday. He was doing 32 marathons in 32 counties yeah, yeah. Uh, with 32 pounds on his back. He's an awfully today, but one question I've, I said, if, in your journey so far, what part of the country have you seen that impressed you the most? He said to me that it was um, the coast road of Antrim, is what he said. Do you have any particular area so far that kind of said blew your mind? I think the way we're doing the journey, because we can actually, we can go that um, quicker and we, we can explore a lot more maybe than what Connor can. So we've really had the benefit of seeing many, many extra miles, you know what I'm saying, way yeah. above the, the journey we had planned. Well, you'd be a lot faster um, than him anyway, because he's on his shanks ex- there. Yeah. Exactly, <laughs> you know. I think the whole of the West Coast, really from Cork, all the way up to where we are, it's just so amazing. Every single bit of it, without exception, yeah. has just been wonderful. Yeah. You know, and to be able to to be able to see us and explore the way we're doing it is, is even such a, a fantastic experience, you know. And so, so much still more to do. To be impressed. So much yeah. more to do. <laughs> we're halfway there now. I, I know. So, yeah. and... Um, but we're looking forward to um, we're looking forward now to sweeping across um, the north way over into Belfast, and obviously then we're on the homeward uh, stretch. Even though we're halfway there, and um, you have a long way to go yet. Yeah, you have a long way. We have. You know something? I thought Derry was the most fantastic. They 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 call mm. it a city, but to me it's a big town. I just I thought it was the people were fabulous. The history, the scenery. I loved Derry. Did you? It was, do you know something, we walked across the bridge, um, I, um, I can't remember the name of the bridge now yesterday, but there's this lovely sweeping bridge uh, across the river up there, and it was just the most amazing experience yesterday. But myself and O'Connor, we headed across there for a few photos and stuff, yeah, and yeah. I suppose the sense of peace and calm up around the place has been amazing. And I suppose another thing that we've encountered up here is we have been in touch with the, the police service, the, the PSNI, all the way through so far. Mm. And they've just been so wonderful um, and in the way that they've welcomed us up into the north. You I'm know? so delighted because, um, you know, you probably set off with trepidation and wondering, but it's all absolutely. just working out so fabulously so far in memory of Kean and all those who have lost. Listen, don't be a stranger. Keep leaving, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> keep it going, you know. So, um, so yeah, listen, I look forward to touching base with you again. You bet. Yeah, okay, and, let's, uh, let's, let's do that in another four or five days, see how it's going, all right? Cool. Look forward to that, Neil. And if Thank people want to contribute uh, yeah. again, um, how can they do so? Oh. Because we need to drive oh, on the funds online. as well. Oh, please go online. And you go on to the, the, the middletonhub.com and there's a donate button inside there and we could really, really, really do with the support. All know? right, bye. We'll so push the lads that. have actually, one of the other points is the lads have actually started building the wall now to represent the, um, the donations so far. So we got the first leg of the wall went up last week and I think they're talking, the crew below are going to hit it again Friday evening. So they're going to record that and hopefully if that'll all happen, we'll have it out on, online on uh, Friday night okay. or Saturday morning. Okay. So people can actually see the wall as it's beginning to, to take shape. Now. Delighted it's all coming together and it's absolutely happening in more ways than one. Right, Bunny, chat again in a few days' time. Safe trip. Mind yourself, pal. Neil, thanks a lot. Take All care. the best. Bye. Take care. Follow them, lads, online. You can follow the journey at facebook.com forward slash the Middleton Hub. You can donate online, www.themiddletonhub.com. Uh, the Cuddle Run continues right across the country and sweeps through every single county. He's an incredible guy.
back after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. I'm not going to get time to drill into a deep dive on Tanora, the uh, much-loved and long, long-protected tangerine-flavoured soft drink here on Leaside. Uh, there was a worry that it was being disbanded and discontinued by Coca-Cola. They're saying they're not. They just were having problems with a particular ingredient. That's why you couldn't get it for a while. But they did say that full production of Tanora restarts again. What was they said? Um, they say that they will be... Back in full production starting next week with Cork's favourite drink back in retailers in the coming weeks. But I will talk more about Tenora tomorrow. I do know that Coca-Cola took it over. John Daly and company, who are the mineral water bottlers in Cork City, were the makers of Tanora way back in the day. And according to Tom Collins at the Cork.ie, he says that the first mention of it was in the Cork Examiner in 1915 about an advert for Tanora. But I believe that John Daly was making mineral waters and was in production since 1779, or certainly the building was, John Daly and company. Now, the whole building is gone, but the archway, the very ornate archway, it's huge. Um, That wasn't um, got rid of. That wasn't destroyed or knocked when everything else came down. It was just moved a little bit, and it's down a back alleyway, just off Curl's Quay. Uh, It's kind of almost like at the... There's an apartment complex and then there's the back of Supermax and then you've got Paul Street Car Park on his left. It's in there. I don't know if you've ever seen it. The actual detail, the ornate detail of the archway is incredible. So more on that tomorrow. But another one thing that I didn't know is there's actually a Tanora gin. A Tanora gin. It's called Blackwater Tanora Tangerine Gin. <laughs> if you fancy Tanora and gin. And it's supposed to be very, very popular. So more on that. So your memories of Tenora and your stories of it are always welcome. Text 0868104106. Now, Richie says, they couldn't stop making Tanora. Should that be a hate crime? <laughs> You're right, it would. I suffered almost, it wasn't a hate crime, but it was a food crime at the weekend. Um, I'll tell you more about it tomorrow because I shared it on my Instagram page, the picture of what was sold to me as a toasted ham and cheese sandwich. There's a million miles from it. But we also shared it on Twitter and on Facebook. And the response from people with regards to toasted sandwiches and your experience with them are very funny. So I hope to come back to that tomorrow. Everybody's been telling me to name and shame the establishment that sold me this excuse for a ham and cheese toasted sandwich. I will never do that. Uh, I'll tell you the reasons why tomorrow. I just could never tell you where it was um, by virtue of the fact that they were absolutely hammered on the day. There was way too little staff. The facilities were too small. And there was way too many people looking for food. I just couldn't do it to them. But um, I was trying to contact Alan Murphy. They were literally getting on a train somewhere in France. I told you about their horror story accident and crash yesterday morning on yesterday's morning's program regarding their, their camper van. I mean, they are just literally lucky to be alive. Now, they wanted to come home and the whole idea was to get them home ASAP. Um, but they were trying to get on a ferry for tonight to get them home from Roscoff. And the, it was completely and utterly, totally booked out and couldn't be done. So we did the very best we could yesterday to try and get them on a Brittany ferry, moving heaven and earth to contact all sorts of different people. And we went through uh, Fusion, the PR company who handled the account for Brittany Ferries. And we were in touch with Stephanie there. We were on to Deirdre Walden herself and they pulled out every single possible stop that they could and they were brilliant in fairness to them trying to sort out uh, a ferry place for the four of them and it was impossible 
uh, to get them on a ferry um, tonight. Just impossible. There are only so many places on a ferry. Health and safety does not permit one more person on. That's just the way it is. Never mind four. So it couldn't be done. It was proving impossible to get them on any kind of a Brittany ferry for quite some time, to be quite honest with you, until eventually then, um, with the help of Fusion and Brittany ferries, we've managed to get them on Friday nights sailing. And apparently, I can't talk to Alan now because the service on the train is shocking. They're literally now moving uh, from, I think they're, they're where, let me work out where they're actually moving from. I saw it there. They're heading towards Morlaix near the coast now uh, and they'll spend a couple of days there by the coast their final few days in, in France and then they're then about 40 minutes from Roscoff and there's a direct bus so they will get then from Morlaix to Roscoff on Friday and we have places on them on the Brittany Ferry and they will go Roscoff Cork on Friday can't be done before that and Brittany Ferries have moved around some ca- some some waiting list because they have some sort of a list and they bump them up on it um, because apparently people cancel at the last minute. So they're assured that they will get home on Friday. And I know that uh, Alan, who I can't talk to now, did say to um, to Kevin Galvin here, he says, you don't realise how lucky you are to be Irish or indeed from Cork until something like this happens. And so many people rally, rally round you. That's what he said to us on the phone this morning. The Cork people and Irish people have been incredible. And I want to thank everybody who was part of that. Um, those people at Brittany Ferries and indeed at Fusion. So the fam- they just want to come home, close their own front door because they're lucky to be alive. And it's going to take a lot of getting over um, an accident. It flipped and it flipped and it flipped a third time. And the carnage inside in that motorhome. If you haven't seen the photographs on Twitter and Facebook, go take a look for yourself. Believe me. Right, to the phone lines we go. Text 0868104106. And this is a 250 euro voucher. We've got one to give away every single day this week uh, for JJ's Bar. And it's your opportunity to scoop a 250 euro voucher and spend it as you wish. So let me get to the phone line. Sarah, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Okay, you know the drill here, don't you? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to give you uh, 60 seconds for a 250 euro voucher for JJ Walsh's, the new bar and restaurant on Oliver Plunkett Street. So are you Rag? Perfect. Okay, yeah. your, uh, where's that second clock on here? Is your, your 60 seconds starts now. So I'm talking about Glengarve in West Cork, Neil, a little village in West Cork. Um, my dad is actually originally from there and I've made some great memories over the years. Many visits to the woodlands down there, the nature trails, um, the bamboo park, having picnics on the benches in there. Um, we went on the Blue Pool and Ferry over to Garnish Island to see the very unique plantage. Um, you sometimes might get a glimpse of the seals on the way over. Um, stop off in the village in the Blue Loo for a cold pint afterwards in a good trad session. Into Casey's then with some grub, Casey's Hotel um, on the main village in Glengarry was absolutely stunning. And my favourite hotel overlooking Bantry Bay, the Eccles. The highlight for me was seeing Brendan Grace, the late Brendan Grace, in August 2014 with my dad perform. As Butler, he'd plenty of beers on board that night. <laughs> but it added to the performance. He actually cracked the joke um, that the hotel was haunted in one particular corridor. And it's safe to say that I was holding my drink and holding everything else for the rest of the night because I didn't want to go down to the toilet. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Did you write all that down? <laughs> no. Was that all of, out of your head? <laughs> um, 
If I say it was, would you believe me? Oh, it makes no difference to me. You did a great job selling me on Glengariff. You were coming, you were coming dangerously near the end yeah, without mentioning yeah. without mentioning my one of my favourite hotels in the world, the Eccles. And I was saying to myself, if Sarah doesn't mention the Eccles Hotel oh, in sixty seconds, she's disqualified. Love it. Oh, man, that was great. Uh, Graham Norton as well. You never spotted him on your travels around Glengariff, no? You know what? I was actually down there a couple of years ago and someone mentioned that Graham Norton was there and I was on the other side of the village and I say I ran to every single pub because they said he bought around the drinks for everyone in the pub. <laughs> I ran to every pub and I just missed him. <laughs> oh, the best, you can, the best you can do is buy a bottle of Graham Norton wine then. <laughs> and drink it down by the blue pool, how bad? <laughs> Oh, that's incredible. Stay there, Sarah. Hang on. That was fantastic. And you have the photograph of the famous bottler and all to prove yeah. it in the Eccles Hotel. <laughs> the late, great Brendan Grace. Hang on there. Hold on a second. Regina, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are you? You have a tall order to follow there with your oh, 60 yeah, seconds. <laughs> a 250 euro voucher for JJ Walsh's on Oliver Plunkett Street. Opens on Thursday. 60 seconds on your favourite place in Cork. Anywhere in Cork. Are you ready? I am. Your clock starts now. My favourite place would be Cove. I suppose I don't live very far away from it. I'm from Middleton, but I was lucky enough to marry a Cove man. So I've spent many a day in and out there. When we go into Cove, we'd always stop off and photo. Wildlife Park It's absolutely fantastic. You could go for a walk around for hours with your family. It's a fabulous spot. And then as you continue over the road, you'll have Belle Valley Castle, which is done up recently, as everyone will know, with a fabulous bronze figure on the top of it and a tree. stands 80 foot high. It's absolutely fantastic. It's owned by the Wilsons. They spent a fortune doing it up and had a fabulous show on television that I watched. It was absolutely amazing. So as you're driving along then into Cove, you'll see all your cruise ships in the harbour. Absolutely amazing just to stand and look out over. It's just spectacular. I've done the trip to Spike Island. It only takes 12 minutes across on the ferry. It's absolutely steeped in history. You know, it was once a prison, one of the biggest. There's never been one bigger than it since. It's all the stuff, you know, from all the prisoners. People used to live there as well, you know, on the island. I think they stopped living there about 30 years ago. You could go on and on forever, I'd say. On and on. Am I done? You are. You're far from done. You have an awful lot more to say. I want to go there. I want to go to West Cork. I want to go back to Glengariff. I want to go down to Middleton. Coves. And we were there Sunday. They had the regatta. It's just, and I suppose we go in there because I have my husband from Cove. And every time we go in there, we went in to see, you know, know. when they had the cathedral, when they had the spinning. It's absolutely the deck of cards. I had so much more to say. I know, but I can only give you 60 (laughs) seconds. I have two more to chat with and then we'll make a decision, Regina. So hold (laughs) on tightly. Be patient. Meanwhile, Josh. Hi. Josh, you're 12. Does your mum or dad know you're talking to me? Yeah. Fair play to you. Your dad said it's okay. So, you know what this is. You'll win a 250 euro voucher for JJ Walsh's bar and restaurant. You're too young for a pint, I'd say, though, are you, Josh? Yeah. You could have 250 euro worth of burgers and Coke, though. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to give you 60 seconds, little man, and you can tell me about your favourite place. Are you ready? Yeah. Your clock starts now. My favourite place in the world is a place called Lockheed and Tristan McCroom. My dad built this house with my mother around, it took them two years. They built it by themselves. Uh, they worked around the clock, 24-7. We had to live in Bandon for a short while. It was very hard tough on our family. We pulled through it though and we're in now. 
there's a little place down the road called Sheila Shop. We go there nearly every week to get little sweets. She's a lovely lady. There's a park down the road then. At a school, I play with my new friends, my new buddies. And then if you go a little bit over the road, there's, there's a little seating area. You can see deers, birds, ducks. You can see everything. We love this place. My, we've had a bit of bad luck there. We've had good luck. We've had funny moments, bad moments. Um, I I used to play with the GA club there. I've moved now. And the hurling. There's, there's the biggest stage. Our house. I love this place. And it's forever going to be my home. All right. Well done, Josh. You made it in 60 seconds. You're telling me about the home your mammy and daddy built. Yeah. Oh, my God. And you've recently moved in there and you're happy out. Yeah. And it's soon to be your mum's birthday, is it? And she got stung by a weaver it's fish. Today. It's today. It's today. Yeah. And did she stand on a weaver fish as well? Yeah. She, oh. she has to go to the doctor in a minute. Oh, painful. Painful. I know. She oh, my God. And my mom's tough out and when she cries, you know it's sore. <laughs> Your mum yeah. is brave, isn't she? What's your mum's name? Therese. Therese, and your two sisters here in the car called Lauren and Shannon. And would you love to win a prize for them? Oh yeah, it'd be great just to go out for a day with them and treat her. But she's on the road seven days. I don't know. Oh, I mean, it's a you have it's to like give Sophie's it to him. I know, but I loved Sarah's story from West Cork. Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to do. I loved all of I love Regina's too but it's pretty much down to Sarah or Josh lads I say give it to Josh are you serious give it to Josh Neil yeah oh thanks oh that's lovely Uh, Sarah that's unbelievably kind to give up a 250 euro prize like that that's alright that's no bother Josh I loved your story and I loved this I small boys myself I small boys I love this your mum and dad please listen out for maybe Oh, I'll tell you what I'll tell you what we'll do right I'll get on to Monty and I'll see if he, instead instead of one 250 he might give two 200s yeah that's perfect well I do that so each of you oh, will be yes. just 50 euro less and you get a prize oh, each yeah, that's perfect that's if we both win it's a win-win situation oh. <laughs> Josh will you come home and live with me will you <laughs> My kids are all grown up. I want another one like you. (laughs) Okay, that's done. Well done. Congratulations to Josh and congratulations to Sarah. Good luck. Well done, Josh. Thanks for the Thanks, Sarah. Uh, Oh, wow. Follow that. Well, I can't. So instead, I'll just see you tomorrow. Amazing. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcast.